You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for the disappointing portion of our Terminator month as we're starting to slow down and get less interesting here because we've done the first three movies. We were big defenders of the third one. Everybody, of course, loves the first two. And now we're up to Terminator Salvation, which uh, not uh, outright disappointing well i will say outright disappointing not outright bad just pretty bland uh let's call it terminator bland (laughs) salvation um uh it's (laughs) i don't even know what to say this is uh this is not going to be as exciting of an episode but maybe they'll be just as funny who knows maybe we'll find a great renee russo bit in here or something (laughs) or uh maybe somebody's mom's getting plowed out there we don't know (laughs) it's too early to tell uh, but Terminator Salvation, the first of many Terminator semi-reboots. <laughs> uh, that's all they do nowadays. Movie didn't work out. Let's reboot again. Uh, but still a semi-sequel to Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines for last week. We're about six years removed from Terminator 3. And uh, we're about 16, 17 years flashed into the future. And we got lots of exciting stuff on this one. We've got Christian Bale replacing Nick Stahl. We've got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard replacing Claire Danes. we got Michael Ironside replacing everybody else. <laughs> and we've got CGI replacing Arnold Schwarzenegger. So let's get into it here. My name is Colin, and um, I just searched my notes and couldn't find one decent line from this movie. So my name's Colin. And my name is Christian Bale, and I'm going to yell everything because that's what I do as John Connor. Can we get the uh, the the remix background music playing when you do that again? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, all he does in this movie is yell. Like that's it, pretty much. <laughs> Brood and yell, um, along with Sam Worthington, the great talent of Australia, oh. Sam Worthington, who does really nothing other than. Yell without words. Ah! <laughs> There's my opening line. I'm Sam Worthington, and ah! how, how on earth is it that he basically had maybe the biggest year in movie history by being cast in a Terminator film, and then what would go on to be the biggest blockbuster of all time, um, at least at that time, um, and basically not be cast anymore, and people hate him. Like I don't get it, but hey, it's Sam Worthington. Yeah, uh, and let's add on to there, like, what, a month or two after Avatar comes out, he's still got Clash of the Titans, so in probably about nine months, he has three movies that all do, you know, $200 million or more worldwide, and now he is the Australian Michael Bean. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to be another Australian Michael Bean next week, aren't we? Well, so, I mean, at least Jai Courtney keeps uh, trying. Yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> Sadly, he does, yeah. At least Sam Worthington went to stop. Um, but this movie, uh, as I said, semi-reboot, uh, but still semi-sequel. It started out as a direct sequel. Uh, in fact, I completely forgot about this until we started doing the research for this episode. And uh, I remember it being big news at the time that T3 came out that originally they had written two Terminator sequels that were both both supposed to be filmed kind of back-to-back. The first one being about the rise of machines and the second one being about the start of the war. 
Uh, and then eventually they're like, well, let's just do the third one. And the third one comes out, and they're still committed to doing the the start of the war after that. And that script just goes through many alterations until eventually Jonathan Mosto steps away from it. But the original screenwriters uh, retain some form of credit once this movie comes out. Uh, maybe just because they said we're going to do it with a war and John Connor's going to be in it. And uh, maybe they reached out to Sam Worthington early on. Who knows? But this movie does still pick up slightly after Terminator 3, which is nice. It doesn't wipe its hands completely clean of it like uh, Terminator Dark Fate, which I know we're very excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Or are we? (laughs) You're thrilled about that. Uh, Oh, it's going to be so... (laughs) bland like this <laughs> the terminator's got himself a nice little but, apartment uh, nice little one bedroom overlooking the valley um paying yeah. some nice little rent nice uh, <laughs> a great five o'clock shadow going on he looks as tired as the franchise at this point <laughs> uh but eventually after several years of retooling and retooling they, they're still dedicated to let's do the beginning of the war or uh at least flash forward to the war and let's now start what now we hear at the beginning of every single Terminator movie, uh, at least production wise. This is going to begin a new trilogy of Terminator <laughs> movies. So <laughs> Salvation was the first of now three new Terminator trilogies that we're getting, none of which actually get to the second part. Uh, but I remember the first thing I heard about this once it actually really got off the ground after, you know, Jonathan Mostow had stepped away. And uh, there was the the whole rights where the, the, the production, uh, they changed producers. They had had massive amounts of money that was being thrown out there just to get the rights to Terminator. And eventually uh, it lands in McGee's hands. McGee, of course, being the director of the first two Charlie's Angels movies. At least that's what he's most well known for. I wasn't really thrilled at the idea. Having never seen the Charlie's Angels movies, I, I couldn't be that judgmental. But knowing that McGee was just this commercial director, kind of the uh, poor man's Michael Bay like, is this really what the Terminator franchise needs? I mean, you know, as I said, I liked uh, Rise of the Machines. You like Rise of the Machines. For the most part, people were critical of Rise of the Machines, but it was more just, that. Ah, it was okay. And now we have Mick G. Um, but I remember seeing the first trailers when this came out and knowing that it was going to be the beginning of the war and, and hearing, okay, now Christian Bale's involved in the movie. Uh, and at first, uh, the, the word was that it was going to be a small role but as Christian Bale got signed on to the movie, you know, he eventually, uh, coming off of The Dark Knight here, you know, he's got ties to Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan, of course. And Jonathan Nolan comes on, and now Jonathan Nolan's going to be rewriting the screenplay, although I don't even think he gets uh, a screenwriter's credit on this. However, Mick G has said that it's basically Jonathan Nolan's screenplay. I'm starting to very, be very optimistic about this movie. We've got Christian Bale, we've got Jonathan Nolan, we've got The War. Uh, this is going to be good. And uh, the first trailer comes out, and like, well, that actually looks really good. And this is what we've been saying since the first Terminator. What everybody wanted to see was the war. Let's get to that future stuff. So I'm going into this thinking, this is the perfect Terminator movie. I'm okay with them skipping forward after Rise of the Machines. You know, they're still remaining true to that because they've got John, they've got Kate in there. So it's not complete rebooting. I remember getting the tickets to go see, like, the, the advanced screening, which... Uh, really only became a thing um, – uh, we've talked about this a little bit on and off, but midnight movies were the big thing for years, at least here in Canada. I'm sure other parts of the world, they still do the midnight movies. Uh, it got to the point around here 
2009, I think the year before, it was all still midnight movies. I remember Indiana Jones, King of the Crystal Skull came out in 2008, uh, and The Dark Knight, obviously, uh, Iron Man, and those big movies, I was seeing the midnight showings. 2009, suddenly it's like, no, we're actually going to release the movie the night before, and you can go see it at a decent hour, which is great because I was no longer working nights. My brother and I got tickets to the advanced screening on the Thursday night. Uh, we went to go see it, and we walked out of it, and our honest reaction was, that was awesome. Like, hmm. we love that movie. That was so good. And uh, I remember all year just being like, oh, the Terminator Salvation, definitely one of the best movies I've seen this year. And then when it came out on DVD and Blu-ray, I, I took a while to pick up a copy. It was probably six, maybe even closer to a year after it came out in theaters before I eventually bought a copy and saw it again. I showed it to Jamie. And uh, I remember watching with Jamie and uh, her younger brother, and I'm like, oh, you guys got to see this movie. And we watched it. And all I remember saying at the end of it was like, well, that's not quite as good as I remember it being. You know, <laughs> still okay. But um, I don't know if I watched it all the way through since then. But my initial reaction was great. So I'm going to be very torn when we get to this review on the end because I obviously have some changed opinions on it. But it did – you know, hit nerve with me when I first came out, and and something about it really did click. Uh, I just don't know whether I was younger and dumber at the time, <laughs> or if this is just something that the the more you have to sit there and watch it and think about it, you're like, ah, uh, not so great. I think I kind of I worked out at the end of this rewatch what it was about this movie that I, I particularly like, but there's something of a bit odd about it is that. I think this is a good film. It's just not a Terminator film. I think that it kind of it just doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a Terminator film. Um, and that's maybe where I think, at the end of the day, how I can sort of say I like it, but it's just it doesn't feel like it should be in this franchise. Um, and I just think Christian Bale just does not feel like he's John Connor to me. I mean, we've kind of seen these two portrayals of John Connor, and I, I don't think I ever got a, a vibe that he's going to be this you know, yelling, screaming army guy. Um, I mean, it just kind of, I guess that's his future and kind of we've learnt about that. But I, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like having seen what Nick Stahl did with it and then Edward Furlong, it just, it seems like a big stretch. But hey, get it, he's meant to be this sort of, you know, general. We've had flashes of it in the future. But I don't know. There's just something about it overall that doesn't really feel like it should be a Terminator film. I mean, I saw this at the movies um, I actually remember seeing this uh, with Louise when I was still with her and her brother. And Louise would never see movies like this. Like, she hated action sort of films and stuff like this. So I had to basically drag her kicking and screaming to come along to this movie with me. Um, and, of course, she hated it, but she hated a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and I, like, I think I was the same as you. I walked out of that thing like, oh, yeah, like, that's, that's quite good. And then I, it's one that I haven't really watched a lot over the years. And when I do, though, I kind of, I, I kind of leave it every time, just thinking like, you know, that's decent. Um, I, I've never hated this film, and I've, I've kind of seen the criticism that it gets, and I can kind of understand it. But I don't even know if, like, outside of some of the the reviews, like, I don't see where a lot of people are putting their views outside of the fact that it's like, oh, it's a, a man wakes up. Uh, doesn't know who he is, joins a resistance, gets caught, and then keeps fighting. That's it. And, like, I mean, every single Terminator film is basically person gets chased, they save the day, that's it. Like, the complaints that they seemingly make about this film are kind of what a lot of the other ones are. But I guess it just feels different. It feels blander. It, it feels like a movie that we should be getting for this 
period in the Terminator timeline should, I think, maybe be better. But it's just an odd one. It's an odd one to me still. Even trying to explain what I'm trying to say is that ultimately it doesn't feel like a Terminator film, but I just I can't put my finger on what is wrong with this movie because it's still an okay movie. I enjoy this movie, but it's not a brilliant movie, if any of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that's all completely right. Um, I... I have been able to put my finger on it a little bit after this rewatch, uh, but again, it's just—it's like you said, it's just odd. Uh, there's something missing here, and the first thing that I think I'll really say or that I pinpointed is uh, it feels like an underdeveloped script. Like there's some really great ideas here mm-hmm. that would make this a great Terminator movie. Like you said, the, the, I completely agree with you. The criticisms of Oh, you know, there's not enough to it. It's not complex enough. None of the Terminators are complex. I mean, the most complex one you would say would be, well, Terminator Genesis is way too complex. But uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, it's really only complex in the characters. Uh, The story itself is more bare bones than this. But I feel like they had two very clear ideas of what they wanted to do here. Uh, and two lead characters, and neither really gets the time or development to make it matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original idea, which we should talk about this too, uh, as I said, with Christian Bale signing on, that expanded the John Connor role because they went to Christian Bale with a script that was basically the Marcus story, and John Connor was a small supporting character that kind of really only made his appearances near the end. And the original title of this as well uh, when this was still uh, before they started filming, when it was still in development, and they started, you know, signing Mick G and uh, Christian Bale and everything, was it was going to be called Terminator Salvation, and the subtitle was The Future Begins. And the idea was this whole new series, this new trilogy, would not be called Terminator; it would be called Terminator Salvation to separate it from the other ones. That the original three was about the time travel in the past to prevent the war. Now this is about the war. And this first movie, John Connor's role is going to be small. And then Christian Bale comes on. They offer him the Marcus role. And he says, you know, I'm interested in doing this movie, but I'd much rather play the John Connor character based on the script he saw. Not just I want to play John Connor. He's like, I like what John Connor is in this movie. Do you think that you could expand this role? And they said, sure. Uh, Let's make it a dual lead. And that's where I think the biggest problem is. Uh, if this had been the Marcus movie, I think you might be more invested in Marcus, maybe not with Sam Worthington, because there's really nothing about him <laughs> that an audience wants to invest in. He's playing and himself. I'm not He's playing a machine with skin on top of it. He's just playing himself. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, like I'm not a Sam Worthington hater, but I just don't get excited by him much in the same way of Jai Courtney. You know, he's <laughs> there's just something a little bit bland about him, something that, that you don't connect with. But a larger role would have helped. I almost would have rather seen, even though I'd much rather see a John Connor movie, uh, i.e. Terminator 3, I would have rather seen just the Marcus movie with John Connor's supporting role or the John Connor movie just with the Marcus. Splitting it too much between these two guys, everything ends up underdeveloped. Both characters are underdeveloped. They both have completely different stories, neither of which really gets traction, if that makes any sense. And even with the side characters, I feel like we have way too many supporting characters, even though there's less supporting characters in this than some of the other Terminator movies. Those supporting characters are all tied directly to John or directly to Marcus. And because neither of them really get developed, none of the supporting characters do either. And I think, yeah, that's that's a good point because, 
you would argue that Terminator films up until this point focus around two or three people and that's it. And then you kind of just have a few. I mean, we joked in a couple of them that, you know, there's Arnold, there's Linda, there's, you know, Michael, that's it. There's no one else notable in this movie. And that's kind of maybe what the problem is. And and we haven't even mentioned it. There's no Arnold in this movie. I mean, and like, yeah, is that is that legitimately what the problem is? I mean, I haven't seen Genesis. Mm-hmm. I've, I know there's a lot more problems than just, you know, having that in it. But could that legitimately be the problem? That the fact that we have no Arnold in this movie, and, and clearly the reason why we didn't have Arnold, he was governor of California at this point. Um, mm-hmm. He was offered a cameo, but he said no because he thought it would just be a disservice to the fans of the film. So, I mean, you might use it as a joke to say, like, oh, we're missing Arnold, but you might even have a legitimate case there because maybe that's why it doesn't feel like a Terminator film because mm. there's no Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I don't know. And, I mean, look, McGee as well... I mean, I'd seen both Charlie's Angels. The first Charlie's Angels film was a great film. The second one's a piece of shit. Um, and he was sort of a bit involved in the development of the OC as well, one of my favourite shows, which, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always liked him to think that McGee was kind of like the early 2000s J.J. Uh, Abrams because he seemed to be everywhere in the early 2000s. Like, he did Charlie's Angels and his name was just attached to everything. He was the it man to go to. Um, career obviously hasn't quite panned out the same way as J.J. Abrams, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and like you can definitely see a lot of his style in this because he, he was a music video director. That's sort of you know where his background mm. was. Um, and there's definitely a few elements of this that remind me of Charlie's Angels. Like the bridge sequence is very much Charlie's Angels full throttle. And yeah, and I I mean I didn't really have an opinion. I think when it came to McGee doing this film because I again I'd seen Charlie's Angels like okay you know fifty percent of them are good. Um, <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure he can do okay. Um, but I, 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 I read an interview with Christian Bale basically where he blamed McGee for this film being shit. So, um, and that's why McGee has never worked another day since. <laughs> but here's where I'm going to do the unthinkable and defend McGee over Christian Bale, who, I mean, if I have a Mount Rushmore of modern actors... There's really only a handful. It's like Renee no matter Russo. what this guy's Yeah, other than Renee Russo. <laughs> she's above Mount Rushmore. She, she's the be- she's Mount Everest and then Mount and the Mount yeah, Rushmore's below us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She's the Statue of Liberty and then Christian Bale's one of the Mount Rushmores. Um but I mean I've got a couple that like you know, no matter what they're in, I will see that movie yeah. and I have probably seen every movie like I have seen every we talked about this before. I've seen every Christian Bale movie, including ones that people don't know existed that he made like you know long before he was batman i mean i i got into christian bale because of american psycho and went back and watched all of his indie movies he made before that just because of american psycho but um you know christian bale at this level for me and then mick g all the way down there i walk out of this feeling maybe christian bale (laughs) is more of a problem with this than McGee because I don't really have any fault in McGee's direction here because I I think the issues with this movie come down more to the script than anything else and it was Christian Bale coming on and saying I I think that this should be changed with the script and his ideas weren't bad Christian Bale's not a screenwriter uh, but I don't feel like he really brought anything to this movie that we couldn't have had with any other unnamed actor in there uh, and Jonathan Nolan, I mean, in, in, he got nominated for Academy Award for Memento. I mean, he's been involved in all of, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan's movies, or at least a huge chunk of them. Incredible writing talent. And I don't feel like this script that Christian Bale had his guy come in to work on 
gives Mick G anything to really work with. Visually, this movie is a hit. Yeah. And that was one of the first things, like, in the first act of this movie, I'm like, I I really don't feel like this story is worth telling, but I love the look of it so much, and I love the action sequences, and the issues I have with the action maybe not being exciting enough come down to there's not a story there to tell. And yet at the same time, I think the story of this movie could have worked as a Terminator movie. I'm going to pinpoint a couple of things throughout this where I feel like that would make it a Terminator movie. So why does it still not work? And I just – this is one of those rare occasions where, yeah, the director has the final say. The director is the creative force behind the movie. But I have a hard time walking away from this saying the director could have done this differently. I feel like the writers could have done this differently. Well, let's not forget that John Brancato and Michael Ferris, the writers of this movie, were two of the co-writers on Catwoman. Um, And they also (laughs) did... Uh, co-write Terminator 3 Rise of the Machine. Uh, I mean, Catwoman, is that a movie that we really should be doing in bad music, a uh, bad movie month at one point? We've never touched that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know that's coming. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen it. Probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think I agree with everything you say. I like it's, I mean, it's not one of these, it's, it's, yeah. I think that JJ, uh, JJ Abrams, I've got him on the mind now. McGee, <laughs> I mean, he's just he, he's just disappeared, this guy. It's kind of like, it's not like he's just gotten this reputation and he's just gone into obscurity or whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just think he was everywhere and now he's nowhere. Poor McGee. I love how his name is McGee. Just, I just... <laughs> you know. can, can we just be, like, McC and McB from now on? <laughs> I think so. I mean, McGee is just MCG, like the, you know, iconic ground in Australian football. So I'm just going to call him footy McGee. I don't know. McGee. It's a new burger coming soon to McDonald's. <laughs> um, we should jump into the movie here. Um, it's only going to take us five minutes. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, actually, really quickly before I jump into the movie, um, obviously some of the buzz about this before it came out was the Chris Bale rant and everything, <laughs> which was probably the the first bit of bad publicity that Christian Bale ever experienced as well. I mean, he's coming off of Batman, so he's pretty much untouchable. Uh, And this rant, if I, if I know the story, right, it was something along the lines of, he was in the middle of a intense scene and uh, something about the cinematographer. Do you know more about this, about the cinematographer? He started screaming at him and it was all obviously captured uh, on audio. Yeah. The, um, on the internet. Yeah. The, the, director dude walked in uh, allegedly uh so shane hubert uh her sorry not hubert helbert 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 uh director of photography walked onto the set basically in the middle of a scene and just christian bale just let rip at him uh, and just absolutely <laughs> went off his nuts one of the very first few things that i think ever kind of went viral of this nature um and it was just, it just did the rounds for so long. I think there was a song released of it called The Bailout, basically, like mm-hmm. a remix. I remember <laughs> when, um, our radio show at the time, we used to play this a lot. But my biggest thing that I always, I weirdly like to credit Christian Bale, because like you said, this is like the first controversy he's ever had. This is the only controversy he's ever had. Like, I feel Christian Bale is not somebody who you ever really put out with controversy, is that during this rant, he still maintains his American accent. So this is, I think, why. I still always felt that he was American and not Welsh because mm. he's just like screaming his nuts off. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of there, you know, and just maintaining the John Connor character clearly. 
Um, and he doesn't just go into his natural accent. So, a real method actor, Christian Bale. Like, even screaming mm-hmm. at people in real life. Um, but, yeah, I... I you know, we, we wish we could play it. I mean, we probably could. I don't think that would be copyright, <laughs> would it? I don't know. <laughs> Copywritten uh, pirated video? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I mean, I think we mentioned this. I don't know if it was on our review of Vice, but uh, one of the times we talked about Christian Bale, uh, as I said, American Psycho is what got me into Christian Bale. And I remember uh, watching the, the making of on the DVD for that, and hearing Christian Bale talk Americans, I already knew that he was Welsh. And then when I was hearing him talk in the American accent, I'm like, oh, this must be like one of those method actors <laughs> that you hear so much about. I mean, because uh, that's the way he is. He will stay, not stay in character, but he wants to at least maintain uh, a little bit of that character outside of the movie, you know, whether it be an accent. That could be also one of the reasons why his accent never slips, unlike Sam Worthington, whose accent slips constantly yes. throughout this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> One other uh, controversy, and I actually mixed this up last week when we were talking about T3, uh, that the Terminator 3 had ended up going with a PG-13 rating, which is why people are upset about it. That wasn't T3. That was actually Terminator Salvation, uh, which I've always had this complaint because there's, there's so many people who get up in arms when a beloved franchise goes with a PG rating for what normally is an R rating. Uh, it happened with Die Hard. It happened with this. And what the audiences don't understand is that they think that they're getting a lesser movie because of that. They don't realize that the ratings board is so much more lenient now than they were back in the 80s and the, the, the 70s and obviously the 60s. Uh, because the R-rated version of this movie has basically no differences whatsoever. Uh, and in the case of Die Hard, you know, I think the R-rated version is about 15 seconds longer. Uh, but fans want to be like, oh, this is a watered-down movie because it's R-rated. And really what it came down to, if you do a little bit of reading, is that Mick G cut two things from the movie. One was uh, Moon Bloodgood, who plays the uh, the pilot in this, Blair, Marcus's ally. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> That's a Terminator name. <laughs> Moon yeah. <laughs> I want to be named Mick Moon Bloodcut. Good Colin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but she had a topless scene in this movie, and Mick G cut it out because he said it felt like just nudity for the sake of having boobs on camera. And here we are in 2019, he should be applauded for that choice, you know, but 2009, oh, he's robbing us of a gritty R-rated movie. No, he's taking one topless scene out that didn't need to be there. The only other thing that was cut was a scene where Marcus stabbed somebody through the chest with a screwdriver. This was that that scene, it was probably the same scene maybe where there's a topless scene where uh, they get attacked by, you know, your typical goons in the Terminator movie that all end up getting killed. Uh, the Bill Paxton sequence, you would call it. And this one shot of a screwdriver, Mick G's like, this is the only thing that the ratings board said they give it our rating for. Now, audiences also completely misunderstand. They think that producers go out there and say, we're going to make an R-rated movie. No, they make the movie they want. They show it to the ratings board, and they say it gets an R rating because of these. And when it came down to the list that he'd already cut the topless scene, and they said this one stabbing shot, we're going to give an R rating for this. He's like, well, that seems stupid. Why would we 
limit ourselves and limit our audience, we can deliver the exact same movie and simply cut one shot. But of course, fans got wind of this and everybody was complaining before the movie came out and suddenly it's like, we're not getting a gritty arted movie. The reason I made the mistake is because Terminator is violent. It is graphic in ways. It is scarier. But one shot, and yet that caused a lot of controversy. And yet it didn't really affect the box office, which we'll find out later on. But you know, those two things, obviously, there was a little bit of a negative reception before the movie came out. And this was one of those movies that fans were, in a way, determined to hate before they ever saw it. Uh, because they heard Christian Bale... And because they thought they were getting a tame movie. But let's jump into this tame movie while we're at it. So we actually jump forward to 2003. Now, this is the year that Rise of the Machines came out. Although I think Rise of the Machines is supposed to take place about a year or two after this. Am I right? Do you have a timeline on these? Uh, do I? That's a good question, Colin Hilding. Um, I don't know. I, I mean... I know it's 2018 for the most part. <laughs> Obviously, it yeah. tells us that in the bit. Um, I mean, Wikipedia says 2003. So, but I mean, for, for Rise of the Machines, what was oh. the, the year that Rise of the Machines was supposed to be? I oh. thought it was supposed to be a little bit ahead of 2003. Well, I mean, maybe it's meant to be just purely on the fact that yeah, they aged John Connor, didn't they? And it kind of didn't make sense mm-hmm. with the. Um, uh, leave that with me. I will find out for you. I, obviously, this opening sequence is in pr- you know a prison in two thousand and three. Two thousand and four. Uh, two thousand and four. Judgment Day clear. There we go. Okay, so now you got to wonder why they did that. They're like, oh, we got to jump ahead because nobody's going to believe John Connor is eighteen. Let's make him nineteen and have our movie take place a year later. Mm. Uh, but here, this one it starts, I guess, then a year before the events of T three, and we have Marcus Sam Worthington in prison. Uh, and when he gets visited by Helena Bonham hologram uh, that we're going to see later on. Uh, very weird that she signed on this movie. Here's an Academy Award nominated actress who signs on to this movie. And this is, of course, I, I think before she was cast in the Harry Potter movies, which obviously made her a more mainstream actor. But still a big name and a respected actor. And she's essentially in the opening sequence and then appears in weird hologram form later on. Uh, but... Without anything really being stated, you get that, I guess, she's dying. And she's talking to Marcus about donating his body. And, uh, you know, Sam Worthington's obviously in prison. That We don't get that much of a background on him, except that he's not a very nice guy. Uh, he just out of nowhere just starts kissing her for no reason. <laughs> and I don't know if these characters are supposed to have a relationship. But this is what Jamie always remembers about Salvation. She remembers nothing about the movie. But when I was showing this to her... And her younger brother, who I think was like 16 or 17 at the time we watched this movie, uh, Jamie asked the question, it's like, why is she just letting this guy kiss her? And Jamie's brother responded, what woman wouldn't want that? (laughs) And then he paused and goes, or man. (laughs) He started backpedaling after that because we're like, what? (laughs) We're like, did you just out yourself? (laughs) You're in the closet? But he's like, oh, I meant to, I thought that I was saying it the other way. So he thought that he had said what man wouldn't. And then he's like, oh, I better correct myself and said, or woman. But he actually said it backwards. So it came out sounding like he just came out of the closet in front of us. And he has a thing for Sam Worthington. So the only thing she ever remembered on Terminator Salvation, whenever I would mention, oh, yeah, there was Terminator Salvation. There was Terminator Genesis. She goes, which was the one that Josh you know, had the hots for the guy on. (laughs) No, he didn't. He had that one slip of her. But she always remembered that moment. But 
I don't know. In rewatching this, her reaction, it almost to me feels like maybe they had a thing going or there was some type of flirtation. Do you read anything into their relationship here? Uh, not really. I kind of just got it that he was a dude who was about to die and was just kind of, you know, taking advantage of, of getting a kiss. That's kind of maybe how I read it. Um, because, yeah. I don't know, he's on death row and he's just being a, a dick. It's kind of like, um, it's the mummy, isn't it? When Brendan Fraser at the very beginning is kind exactly. of in the cage and he's just kind of like, oh, you know, what about a kiss? Like, I, to me, that's what I get from it. There is a moment later on, though, which, I again, I never picked up on until 10 years later now, and I'm watching it and seeing, I'm like, ooh, maybe there was more to that. But uh, her not really hesitating, you know, uh, obviously she's okay with this. Um, she'd be happier if it was Michael Bean, but <laughs> <Who wouldn't laughs> she gets Sam again. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, that guy, the basketball guy from Greece, oh, had all his posters <laughs> on my wall. Uh I wonder but, I wonder how uh, many people called him Mr. Bean, just you know, putting it out there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call him Mr. Bean from now on. Mr. Let's Bean. get him on the show. Let's get Mr. Bean on the show. He's Absolutely. not doing anything else. That'd be so funny. Like, we, we go, like, everyone, we've got Mr. Bean, and we get Rowan Atkinson. Well, not you, Rowan Atkinson. We want yeah. Michael Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants you, Rowan Atkinson? Please. Uh, what woman wouldn't want him? Or man? Uh, <laughs> I'd kiss Rowan Atkinson. Oh, over Sam Worthington? I would, too. Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, that man knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> You can tell just by looking at him. He knows what he's doing with any tell, woman. You can tell or he's man. A, he's, a, he's a man's man. Or a he's woman. He's a nasty man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, her brother's going to be listening to this now, so oh, I'm never going to live that down. Uh, anyways, uh, so he eventually just says, you know, I'm guilty. Just cut me open until there's nothing left. And it's almost a weird opening sequence because it's so brief, but then I watch the rest of this movie and I realize another one of the issues is that every scene is way too brief. And then I remember Terminator Genesis where entire action sequences are like 45 seconds and then done. Uh, <laughs> and I don't have as much to complain about. Uh, you haven't seen that yet, so wait till we get there next week. Can't wait. Uh, so <laughs> that's basically the whole opening sequence of Marcus. And it is kind of a cool, mysterious opening because that wasn't leaked. I think there were leaks where people knew what Marcus was. Not that I knew, but it wasn't like something in the trailers where you knew exactly what Marcus was going into this movie. Uh, so it kind of just had me, once all of a sudden it flashes forward to 2018 and we get this opening write-up, I'm like, well, what significance? I thought this guy was supposed to be the star of the movie. Um, and we get your typical Terminator opening write-up talking about Judgment Day and the machines and Skynet and all the exposition that you could learn from watching the first three movies or any episode of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which had already come out at this point, I think. Uh, and, of course, it ends on, you know, humanity's hope, uh, you know, the the salvation for humanity, John Connor. Uh, and then it jumps into 2018. Uh, and we get uh, a strike against the machines, you know, some type of computer server room underground because what better place would the machines do all of their research all their electronic research than in the middle of a sewer uh, <laughs> the placement of that's a little bit odd but um they they have a couple of strikes against some satellite dishes and then it's all john connor's introduction and you get that he although the opening write-up says he's the last hope for humanity he's just your average run-of-the-mill soldier here and on this operation 
you know, they're underwater and uh, they eventually find Marcus's body. So now all of a sudden it's 15 years later and you're like, well, this guy has an age. What's he doing there? Uh, they get out of there. They, they realize there's some type of new design there because all these computers are operating in the middle of sewage. <laughs> uh, and you see these designs for it's a design for a new Terminator. It's called the T-800. That's going to become important later on. And um, uh, oh, and then somebody else responds like it's just like John said. Uh, so they're starting to set up that the reason people are following John is because he has all this knowledge on the Terminators. And they wonder, well, how did he know all this stuff? Uh, that, I guess, is logical as to why John would get in the position that he is. Uh, you do think a lot of people would be asking more questions about this, but m- most people, I guess, just follow him as some type of prophet here, uh, like he's psychic or whatever. And then we get, as they're escaping with this, uh, there's a helicopter attack, so the machines are fighting back here. We really get our first glimpses at the future Terminators, and I do like this stuff. I, I like seeing all the different machines in action. We just had the brief glimpses. Uh, most of them visually look the same. They haven't really changed a lot. I mean, even though this is what, like 10 years, 12 years before the other movies take place, the future sequences at least, uh, it all looks pretty close. So this is where I give Mick G a lot of credit for sticking with the traditional Terminator designs here. Uh, the whole sequence looks fantastic. As the helicopter's going down, you have the, all the, the one shot of it. You get the mushroom cloud in the distance. You know, John Connor's the only one standing. Uh, he ends up fighting off a legless Terminator, uh, quick fight between them. Uh, he radios in for help, and they're saying, how many survivors? And he goes, one. I think this is all a decent opening to the movie. Uh, Marcus, of course, coming out of the explosion, covered in mud. We get Sam Worthington's one line of dialogue. Ah! <laughs> Which, can we just say, he is the biggest over-actor in the Terminator franchise. I mean, I was cringing watching him here. Uh I, I forgot how bad he was in this movie, and I don't think I hated him when I first saw the movie. Uh, it, it really is amazing that he had the year he had because this is what kicked it off. I mean, I, I should pull up his uh, filmography here as well because I always remembered this movie as being after Avatar, but it wasn't. This came out a good six months before Avatar did come out because I remember uh, – in the buzz leading up to this movie, hearing that this guy Sam Worthington was going to be the star and that he also had been cast in like James Cameron's next movie and realized, oh, he's got all these big movies coming out. Who is this guy? He was nobody when this came out. Uh, still is. Really nobody. Yeah, still nobody. <laughs> uh, once again, he has returned to his roots and he's nobody. Uh, but the only major Hollywood movie he'd done at this point was Hearts War, Bruce Willis' Prisoner War movie. I remember actually kind of liking that movie that came out seven years prior to this. Uh, but this is pre-Avatar, and uh, maybe because I haven't seen this movie much since then, I don't know how he became – how did he become such a big star? Because he really is awful in this movie, and I, I don't remember being great in the other movies either. But maybe he just had the right look, and he's a bigger guy. He has a bit of a build to him, you know, lacking muscular action stars of the age. Um it's an interesting character, though. I mean, I like the mystery surrounding his character as he emerges from the mud here. I just don't love his screaming. Um, and then as Christian Bale gets on his submarine, uh, I like that the human's resistance base is a submarine. It's a cool little twist. We get Michael Ironside here, which you got to love Michael Ironside, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm thinking of one movie 
that I love Michael Ironside from, and I'm hoping you're thinking the same thing because we've talked about it recently. Starship Troopers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But yet he's always playing the same character. He's always think... the. I was just gonna say. Oh, I go ahead. You, I didn't think you were gonna go with. Um, uh, was he not one of the dads in Dharma and Greg? <laughs> uh, I I don't think I've seen anything past the first episode of Dharma and Greg. Was he? <laughs> I, I've got a feeling he was. Um, why am I thinking he was in Dharma and Greg? Um, well, let's have well, a look here. Uh, uh, no. He was in ER. No. no. Why am I thinking of someone else? Okay. Never mind. He wasn't in Dharma and Greg, everyone. Just <laughs> just to clarify, Michael Ironside was not in Dharma and Greg. <laughs> We've finally answered the oh, long-standing but... question. <laughs> you could have gotten me to do an episode on Dharma and Greg if he was in it, though. <laughs> uh, just quickly touching on uh, Michael Ironside here. Uh, I mean, he's had a, a great career as a B-movie actor. He was the main villain in one of the Highlander movies. Uh, you know, he always plays that, um, uh, that you know, military, screaming military leader, as I said. Uh, the thing I, outside of Starship Troopers, I, I forgot he was in this movie. The thing I was associating with is Smallville, because I'm such a big Smallville fan. He played Lois Lane's dad on that, who also was a hardened military leader. Uh, but uh, he is Canadian, of course, and... Uh, there's often these great Canadian actors that come up where it's like, whatever happened to? And I'm like, oh, they still pop up in Canadian TV all the time. So uh, I get to see Michael Ironside every once in a while in this and that. Uh, going through his filmography here, uh, also realizing he uh, one of his first acting roles was in one of the original hit Canadian TV shows, The Littlest Hobo, which was wow. a TV show about... A, here's something we got to cover on Random Rewatch. Um it's basically an entire TV show about a dog. It's a dog, a homeless dog that travels around and every once every single week, you know, is in a new town, taken in by a new person. Oh, look, it's a lost dog. And uh, obviously he did an episode with Michael Ironside, which was one of Michael Ironside's opening roles. Uh, I, I'm going to put that up. The Michael Ironside Littlest Hobo episode. Got to see that. Uh, he also, as far as DC goes, uh, appeared in The Flash where he played um, Captain Cold's dad. So, uh, great sci-fi actor here. Um, I, I swear he was in another movie. This is going to become the Michael Ironside. Forget Ray Rene Russo. Let's make hey, this Michael Ironside. take that back. <laughs> oh, let, let, let's find the Rene Russo-Michael Ironside movie. Let me correct that. Uh, there was something else that I'd seen him in, probably around the time period of Starship Troopers that I knew he was... And ah, oh, now I can't even that's, find I mean, it. Maybe that's why I kind of always thought like that was around that time of Dharma and Greg. Why am I talking about Dharma and Greg so much? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the new Veronica's closet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I always thought he was like the, the dad. There's uh, I'm, I'm I'm let it go, man. He's not in Dharma. There's and Greg. another guy. You know what? There's another guy that looks like Michael Ironside. Maybe out that's there who because, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's that guy. Uh, but no, I know I remember that now because as I'm trying to find, I'm like, oh, there was something else around them. I'm finding nothing around the Starship Troopers time. Uh, I remember it, during that time, you know, growing up in the '90s, being like, oh, it's the guy from Starship Troopers, and realizing, oh no, it's actually somebody else. But uh, Michael Ironside is obviously the good one because you remember him. But he has a pretty small role. This is one of my complaints about not enough development for the side characters because you got Michael Ironside. I mean, he's a great, you know, B movie actor sleazy and he really gets nothing to do in this movie other than the fact that he's the real leader of the resistance but nobody wants to follow him he's at odds i don't even feel like they develop his odds with john connor enough here because you know 
John Connor saying, no, we need to do this. And he's like, no, you know, you're, you're on thin ice, sir. <laughs> Give me the Michael Ironside speech. You're suspended. Give me your badge. <laughs> and show me some respect. <laughs> I'll cut you up. I'll bust, bust you up, you man. Up. Relax. <laughs> I wish this movie had moments like that. We got nothing to talk about here. There's really um, nothing, no quotable lines in this entire I know, movie. I'm like Thirty minutes to the movie here, and I, the only one I ever remember movie. is from the trailer. It is, and it's just because a, it's John Connor screaming, it's, "What are you?" <laughs> like that's the only thing. <laughs> and I then remember. we are dead. Yeah. We are all dead. <laughs> And again, they weren't actually lines in the movie. That's just Christian Bale yelling at um, the crew. <laughs> they realized they were lacking good John Connor moments at the end of this. They said, let's take some of that video from the pirated thing and let's put some CGI in the background with machines. He's literally like going uh, to like somebody walking on dead. What are you? It's like, sir, I'm the, one of the producers. <laughs> well, we're, we're dead. We're all dead if we don't we finish this scene dead. today. <laughs> just like that cinematographer. We're all dead. Uh... Uh, the Michael Ironside scene does introduce the plot of the movie, though, which, again, gets very underdeveloped because I always remember they have some type of strike, but th- the idea that there's some type of hidden single signal doesn't even get properly developed in this movie, so you don't even properly understand it. Some type of signal where there's a magic button that you could turn off all the machines, which is such a far-fetched plot that you're like, why would anybody – Fall, I mean, these humans have to know this is the dumbest idea ever. Hey, we never realized that all these signals come to one spot, so let's just bomb that spot. It doesn't even get enough time to explain it in here. John Connor and him have a bit of an argument. He's dismissed. Uh, there's um, the uh, – is there anything else here? Uh, is it the, Yeah, we get the Sarah Connor tape, so let's quickly talk about that too. Um, and uh, – Linda Hamilton did come back for this, so this was technically her return to the Terminator franchise. She's like, I'm not going to reprise my role, but I'll record some audio. So th- those tapes where she was recording at the end of the first Terminator, we get to hear a bit of it here. Uh, we get our brief glimpse at uh, Kate Dallas, Texas here, uh, <laughs> Claire Dane's replacement, who also was, I mean, not a huge star, but she's coming off of The Village, and she'd done Spider-Man the year prior to this. She's got a name attached to her. She does nothing in this movie, uh, and she's also pregnant. With, I'm guessing, the first child between Kate and John, which also is a plot hole because what only 10 years or maybe maximum 12 years after this, Arnold Schwarzenegger is talking about how eventually your children will become important to the resistance. The 12-year-old child's important to the resistance? <laughs> this kid's not even born yet. Um, well, that little and we girl also get a- is important because she gives out Band-Aids, so... There we go. <laughs> One of the most underdeveloped. All we're doing is running through all the underdeveloped characters of this movie. Uh, so um, let's just uh, cut it off there. Um, uh, we also get introduced to Common here. Common, you know, uh, as I explained to Jamie uh, a couple of months ago now on our John Wick 2 recap, uh, <laughs> Common is a rapper <laughs> and also an actor. And she's like, I don't know anything about rap. I'm like, well, he's an actor as well, Jamie. You've seen half of his movies. Uh, but I'm a big Common fan because I-, I never really listened to Common, but I love him in all these movies. I thought he was great in John Wick. I feel like he's also underdeveloped in this movie, but his brother died in the first attack. So we get introduced to all of our main characters except for two of them, which are about to come in the next sequence. Uh, not a lot going on here. We are approximately an hour and 20 minutes of the movie, though, by my count. Well, I will say, I mean, this movie does go by quickly. Um, and the, the thing, too, I think, which is quite funny with Common's brother, 
is that did you did you notice who Common's brother was dying on the uh, the rubble? Uh, who had quite a more significant role, but they were all cut. I don't know if you picked up on this. No, the one and only Mister Terry Crews. Um, is Common's wow. brother? Yeah, because I remember as soon as I see that body, I'm like, "That's Terry Crews," and I'm like, "What's he doing?" Like his entire role in the movie is to lay there going, arr, arr. and then I read that he had no, a that's... larger role, but it was cut. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny because I uh, I was watching the end credits and I saw Terry Crews' name. I'm like, Terry Crews wasn't in this movie, yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean. I guess this was before he really exploded with, like, the Expendables movies. I mean, that would come the year after this. Uh, so as far as his acting career goes, you know, it, it probably wasn't a big deal. But at the same time, he's incredibly famous for stuff other than acting. You think if Terry Crews is in a movie, you'd want, yeah, you'd, you'd want to use the name power of Terry Crews to reach a certain audience of, you know, uh, 18 to 49 males. So. Yeah. Why? Why is he in this? Why is the little girl in this movie and Terry Crews isn't? I think recast him, the role. Swap him around. Put Common as the one lying on the ground and have Terry Crews. There. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've already had Terry Crews in an Arnie movie with a six day, the very first movie we ever covered on the Oz Network. Download now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I. I quite like the opening stuff. I think it's you know very action packed. I think like it's it's going back to my point of saying it doesn't feel like a Terminator movie. This was just like a generic war movie. Like you know, it kind of. The way it sort of started up and set, like, I just, yeah, I really liked the opening of it. Um, mm. And, yeah, I, I really, there's not a whole lot to add. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I sort of, I might have had my own question answered, because one of the questions I was going to ask coming into this is, like, where's, like, the T-1000? Where's the TX? Like, you know, these ones that are so advanced and killing machines. But as you kind of mentioned, I guess, this is, like, what, nine years, Ten before, years before? Yeah, before Arnie yeah. that gets sent back. So I guess that's where that is. Um, but yeah, Sam Worthington's screen. I mean, this is just a very, you, you want to have your volume down on this movie because between Christian Bale yeah. screaming every <laughs> line and Sam Worthington, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a very loud movie. I, I, I'm with you. I like the fact that the resistance headquarters is in a submarine. I think that's kind of cool. But uh, is, is it a plot hole that the humans still use machines? To like, I guess they have to. Like, they need mm-hmm. weapons and planes and stuff like that. But surely these machines are controlled by computers. Which, I mean, what do the do the the machines who have taken over to Skynet? Like, does it have to be a Skynet computer? Is this like if you've got a Windows computer, they're evil, but an Apple, they're oh, it's the other way around. Let's be honest. If you've got yeah. an Apple computer, they're evil, and Windows, they're not. Like, I feel like the machines surely, if their artificial intelligence can. That's their way to get into the humans is to infiltrate the humans' machines. <laughs> like it's kind of odd. well. Th- no, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I, but obviously, the TX is a decade or more away from being created, and she could control other machines. Uh, at this point, we have Skynet, and we saw in Terminator Three everything Skynet was connected to. So anything on a network, essentially, because. What Terminator 3 did really well was they made it modern and said it's basically software. It's in cyberspace. And when you really watch this movie, almost everything that the humans use is like old technology. Mm. Uh, the, I don't know if the submarine you know, w- would be automated in any way. Uh, but even as far as traveling goes, I mean they have helicopters and stuff like that. But the radios they use are like shortwave radio, you know? So I, I kind of – you have to dig. It's one of the many things that could have just – they take a little bit more time to explain. But I kind of walk away from this thinking, 
anything that's not connected to a network is still separate from Skynet. But obviously 10 years from now, there would have been a really interesting story to tell. What does the Resistance do when the TX can take over their machines? That's a good point. Um, I I like the fact when they, when Michael Ironside's talking about like, oh, you know, they've got a list and you're number two. It's like, who's number one? Kyle Reese. And like straight away, you're like, oh, oh yeah. you know, I'm going to send I you back that, to plow yeah. my mother. Uh, (laughs) basically that's where that's coming from and yeah like you're right like it's kind of it's a very convenient thing to all of a sudden be like hey we've found a signal buried under a signal and this signal will help kill all of them um let's be honest the humans are dumb in this movie that they just automatically believe that this is coming from a few years removed of oh no it's fine these we can just all hook up to skynet it's all going to be safe just because one thing will control all our networks it's nothing bad will happen and then they got nuked the mm-hmm. shit out of so now they're just like oh it's that simple there's a signal underneath that the whole time like it's just you know that's like i, I don't know we're going to bring 911 up eventually like um i don't know oh some bin laden has a third nipple that if we press it he won't do 911 oh it's that simple could have done that the whole time um yeah <laughs> like but in in their defense, you know, this resistance is probably made up of people who never served in the military. You know, they, they have slim pickets here. They got teenagers and 10-year-old girls joining it. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, Star Wars got a lot of criticism because, oh, they just happened to leave a hole in the Death Star. But we got a whole movie out of that explaining why there was a hole in the Death Star. So, come on. <laughs> I mean, that I mean that was coarse and rough and irritating. And it kind of got everywhere. But at least we got it. We got it. <laughs> I had no idea how to work that into this episode. Thank you. <laughs> There's always a way. There's always a way. Life will find a way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 as you said, we're about an hour and 20 into this movie. So I like, I do like the look of the, the like, I like the sort of the robot ones that like a, like a snake. Um, and then just, yeah, the look and feel of sort of these, because that's a very good point you make. The fact that this is nine years before sort of a lot of the ones we're used to. So it does make sense that some of these look the way they do. I mean, we talked about that last week, didn't we, with those sort of giant T1s, you know, coming out and doing their thing. You know, it makes sense kind of why some of these look the way they do. Uh, Yeah, I completely missed what's basically the real plot of this movie, (laughs) Uh, which is is better that we almost talk about this now because we could start to talk about what could have made this more of a Terminator movie if they had given anything in this movie development, and that's... You know, the hit list, as they said, the the machines have this hit list and John Connor is number two on it and says, well, who's number one? Somebody named Kyle Reese. And of course, this name means something to John Connor, but nobody else. Although John Connor spends the entire movie telling everybody in the world that Kyle Reese is important (laughs) and even tells people openly, my father, Kyle Reese. So how is this ever supposed to be a secret? I don't know. Uh, But... Kyle Reese obviously gets introduced into the plot here, and this is what made it more Terminator. Because I started to think about that while I was watching this too. I'm like, is this enough of a Terminator movie? What is a Terminator movie? A Terminator movie usually has to deal with there's some type of machine uh, that is out to get the humans. They're on the run from machine. Well, this entire movie is machines. Uh, they introduced the idea of Marcus. Okay, that could have made more of a Terminator movie, but that doesn't get explored. They kind of just you know gloss over it and go a different direction. The second part being... There has to be something about preventing the future. Now, this movie has jumped ahead in the future, but we're still far enough back that when they find out about Marcus later on, you know, John says, my mother never said anything about this. That's one of the few moments where you're like, oh, this could be about still changing the future. And then the idea of killing Kyle Reese. But here is the biggest plot hole of the movie. 
John has told nobody about who Kyle Reese is. When Kyle Reese goes back in time, he doesn't know. We can make the argument the only person who probably knows about Kyle Reese because his mother's tapes would have told him, don't tell anybody about this, otherwise it may not happen. Kate probably knows. So how do the machines at this point know who Kyle Reese is? When they go back in time to 1984, when they go back in time to 1995 or wherever T2 took place, and they go back in time to 2004, their mission is let's take out John Connor. They know John Connor is the leader of the resistance because they're living in that age. Even here in 2018, John Connor is not well-known enough. He's got this underground following through the shortwave radio, which the machines would not necessarily hear. They shouldn't even have John Connor on their hit list at this point. The only reason John Connor became a target was because the machine said, we've discovered time travel. Let's take out the guy who is forming our resistance or the resistance against us. Kyle Reese should never be a target. The people in the future don't know Kyle Reese's importance. So it really is, if you think about it, the biggest plot hole of this movie that Kyle Reese is the plot hole of the movie. And yet that is what would make this a Terminator movie, the idea that something has changed. Maybe they had the plan later down the road. We talked last week about uh, that line of, you know, I'm the one who killed you, uh, that when he says we'll meet again, they were setting something up for a future movie. This movie doesn't even have a moment where they imply, ooh, how do they know about Kyle Reese? Other than the fact that John Connor tells everybody but then apparently is keeping a secret. It really bothers me now that Kyle Reese is on this hit list because the machines should not know who he is. There is no reason that this would happen other than the fact that everything with the future has changed, but then the movie doesn't explore that. But there it is, Kyle Reese. Do you want to comment on that at any point before I we move on? I never thought about that. <laughs> oh, man, it's like it, <laughs> it actually... Movie's ruined. <laughs> it, I mean, it makes, that's a very, very, very good point um, because there really is no reason for them to know who he is at that mm-hmm. point unless they're they can invent time travels and they can predict the future um like oh this is the guy that's going to go back and plow john connor's mother um yeah. <laughs> which if they can predict the future then there's a whole other a variety of things that they could be doing right now i don't know yeah it's it's strange it, it's really strange i never thought about that so um yeah movie ruined thanks but but john says something here which if you could ignore the massive plot hole would be like exciting movie coming where he says kill kyle reese reset the future that is a great plot if you actually explain how they know who kyle reese is and i'm not willing to accept they'll explain it later in the future in future movies because they would have to tell the audience this is still to come in a future movie the way that they said i'm the one who killed you in terminator 3 so terminator 3 instantly a better movie than this just because it explained what could be a plot hole, but told you the answer is still to come. There's no answer to come here. Uh, we get back and forth sequences. This movie has a lot of intercutting between Marcus and John Connor stories and a lot of intercutting of absolutely nothing happening because we get about, I don't know, approximately 12 back and forth shots of Marcus exploring deserts, Marcus exploring cities, Marcus eventually coming across this trap where he, he, he of course, in his mind – went to sleep, you know, as they injected him with whatever poison to kill him. I don't even know whether that's supposed to be just put him to sleep or were they actually, is this his death sentence? And then he wakes up and it's 15 years in the future, but doesn't realize what's going on. Everybody's gone. So this Terminator, this T-600, just opens fire on him. uh, And 
Marcus, of course, is completely confused, which I, I, I'm still with the movie at this point because I'm like, I like the idea of the guy out of time not understanding. Uh, and, of course, as soon as the scene is over, he just accepts this is the future. I want the movie about the guy being confused. What happened to the world? And all we get is it was Judgment Day. Okay. Tell me what Judgment Day trope. is. It's a terminated trope, like Sarah Connor in the first movie. Oh, okay, cool. I'll yeah. accept that. Um, just yeah. everyone <laughs> accepts things so quickly in the Terminator franchise. You know, Dr. Silverman is the smartest character in this franchise because he's the only one that asks questions. He does it mockingly, but when people say, yeah, the world's going to be destroyed and there's going to be a resistance and machines are going to invent time travel, he's like, oh, tell me more about this time travel. Everybody else is like, cool. <laughs> so, what else is new? <laughs> um, What's the game last night? <laughs> yeah. uh, but Marcus gets saved by a young teenager and a little girl. <laughs> Why is she in this movie? Oh. Took me a while to realize it was I, a girl. I, I, but I'm so... I, I have seen this movie three times in ten years at least. I've seen bits and pieces of it when it was on TV, but all the way through, three times in ten years. I completely forgot this girl was in the movie, and now I know why, because she does nothing. She serves no purpose other than the fact that she's there, and we're supposed to believe she was you know, Kyle Reese's friend or this is who he lived with, but why does he need that? She doesn't speak. She does not belong in this movie. There's no stakes behind her character. There's no threat. There's nothing. She passes people weapons every once in a while. Um, and she sets a booby trap. And band-aids. And she makes booby traps. All things that Kyle Reese could have done to make him a more compelling character. Uh, but Marcus gets introduced to Kyle Reese here. Um, and, uh, yeah, we f- he starts explaining everything about the T-600. As I said, there was Judgment Day. He has the line, come with me if you want to live, which is great. Uh, and I do like... Anton Yelchin. I mean, I won't say anything bad about him, even in this movie, because really, Kyle Reese, it's kind of a cult following, you know, that Michael Bean has, but we watched Terminator 1. I mean, there's not a lot great there with Kyle Reese's character or with Michael Bean's performance. Certainly, we get nothing better with Jai Courtney in the next movie, uh, but yet this is a beloved character just because he was the first protector, uh, the first human sent back in time. And Anton Yelchin does everything he can to give life to this character. I can't fault him in any way. I love Anton Yelchin as an actor. I mean, I almost wanted to cry watching this movie because he's it's not like he had a massive career. He didn't have a Heath Ledger career. But in my mind, between Heath Ledger's death and Anton Yelchin's death, I was sadder at Anton Yelchin's death. I mean, are you a fan of his in any way? Had you seen anything he'd done outside of Terminator? Um, the first Star Trek reboot? Um, saw at least one good <laughs> yeah the first one um, but gee looking at his Wikipedia page gee he looks like Henry Cavill in his photo in that page if you open it up kind of does yeah young Henry Cavill um, before he got buff yeah no I, I don't just looking at his filmography um, no I think that would probably be the only thing I oh I've seen movie 43 <laughs> now there's there's a movie we need to do for bad movie month just because like it is so terribly bad it's almost fun it's kind of like the room in some aspects um yeah no i, I don't know i was in er um judging amy um yeah. would have seen those <laughs> that, that's about it well uh i got introduced to anton yelchin like when he first started acting when he was a kid um you're familiar with uh, i'm assuming at least the name alex cross you know it's like the biggest novel franchise out there um, I thought that was Harry Potter but, or the Bible, but okay, moving on. 
No, James Patterson, like the best-selling author in the world, his it's a book, biggest Colin. franchise. It's a book. Yeah, no, out, well, I don't they know. made it into movies as well, Ben. Uh, Morgan Freeman did a movie called Kiss the Girls oh, okay. uh, with Ashton Judd. Yeah, and then they made a sequel called Long Came a Spider, and then they rebooted it with Tyler Perry replacing Morgan Freeman. Uh, but the second Alex Cross movie, Along Came a Spider, Anton Yelchin, when he was maybe 12 or 13 years old, was in that movie. A smaller role, but I'm like, this. that was around the time period where all kids were annoying in movies. I'm like, this kid doesn't bother me. I like him. And then he made a movie with Anthony Hopkins like a year later called Hearts of Atlantis. Uh, which was just, you know, based on a Stephen King drama. It was like Shawshank Redemption type thing uh, about an old man and this young boy. And I'm like, wow, this kid's actually a really good actor. And then, of course, he did Star Trek. And uh, sadly, um, I didn't see the movie. It barely got a release. But the guy who made The Mummy, Stephen Summers, he made this small movie that threw, you know, issues with lawsuits and uh, court disputes. Uh, this movie Odd Thomas he made which was based on kind of a young adult novel, but not like the way you think. It's it's more just a really quirky uh, sci-fi movie about this kid who has certain powers, almost like a Sixth Sense type thing, and it's a small town. Imagine Sixth Sense meets The Mummy. And it's one of these movies that, like, it looks great, it's incredibly entertaining, but it never really got a proper release because of all these lawsuits. Um uh, because of all these lawsuits, I never got a chance to see it until after on Anton Yeltsin's death. And it was sort of like, well, Anton Yeltsin died. This was sort of like the last big movie that he was involved in that got released, even though he made it years earlier. I watched I'm like, man, this movie's incredible. Like he would – if that movie had gotten a proper release, Anton Yelchin would have been a huge deal. And unfortunately, his biggest roles were Kyle Reese and you know Chekhov in the Star Trek movie. But still, everything I saw him in, this guy was great. So, I mean, this is this is my Anton Yelchin love letter here. Uh, people go back and watch even the smaller movies he made. Uh, Charlie Bartlett's a great one. Uh, the, the, here's our Rene Russo right here. Anton Yelchin, you left us too soon. But sadly, he did die uh, a couple of years after making this movie. Very young. Just a freak car accident. And um, very freak. Yeah. He was crushed by it as it rolled backwards as he got out. Of, I mean, that's wow. He was just parking a car. Yeah. And it uh, rolled back. I mean, it, shit. Yeah. Terrible. Um, but yeah, incredible talent. The most talented actor in this movie. And I'm, I'm saying that I'm obviously I'm a bigger Christian Bale fan, but Anton Yelchin, at least in my mind, gives some real life to the performance here. Uh, his role in the movie. It's OK. I mean, <laughs> I don't hate Kyle Reese in this movie. Uh, I don't feel like he's well-developed enough like anybody else. Uh, but him and Marcus, he eventually takes him in, gives him a brief explanation about what uh, Judgment Day was and all these machines. Marcus just accepts it. Cool, whatever, move on. Uh, there's a radio that doesn't work. Marcus knows how to fix the radio. Uh, the next morning they wake up, they're trying to fix a the car. They're debating about whether they should leave the city, whether they should do things at night during the day. It's too risky during the day. They set off the radio. We hear Alice in Chains, Rooster, uh, great band from the 90s. Uh, one of the uh, really, I guess, the, the original, they would be the original band that made Seattle music big because they made it big before Nirvana did. Uh, but that, that was that whole Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains thing. Uh, and um, they turned the song off. Marcus says something about, oh, it was a song my brother liked or whatever because probably Kyle Reese has never heard a song before because... <laughs> Music draws Moto Terminators in, as we learn in this movie. <laughs> Big music uh, fans. Not, yeah, I mean, this is how low-tech the technology is at the point. Machines in, I don't know, the 60s or 70s had, like, infrared <laughs> that could sense a human being, 
But these advanced machines in the future that could create lifelike human Terminators only know a human's there if music plays. That's <laughs> we're going to find later on. Uh, so we get into the car chase here, which, I mean, you said this was like Charlie's Angels. I don't know if that would ruin it for you. I haven't seen Charlie's Angels, so this is my favorite action sequence of the movie. It's great. It's very Mad Max-like, too, which I, I only read afterwards. Mick G really wanted to model this movie more after Mad Max than he did Terminator. Very Mad Max-like sequence here. Sam Worthington's never good enough to take over that role. Uh, <laughs> we got Tom Hardy instead. I was about to say we got Charlie uh, Theron and, instead, uh, but never mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> both better than Sam Worthington. Uh, and uh, through this uh, sequence here, uh, we should also mention that uh, John Connor played on the radio, and uh, this is Kyle Reese's first new song. listen to John Connor. <laughs> yeah, this is the remix. <laughs> He's the new one by John Connor. All well, you lovers out there. It's Resistance uh, FM. 96.3. <laughs> an infinitely more entertaining movie than what we got here. <laughs> this is John Connor bringing you all the hits of the resistance. <laughs> Barnes died today. <laughs> and, or Barnes' brother died. Funeral at 7 o'clock here on 96.7 Resistance FM. <laughs> Coming up at 8 on Real Talk with John Connor. Are all machines really that bad? We take your call. <laughs> Playing all the hits here. You could be mine by Guns N' Roses. Not to draw on any motor terminator, so I'll just sing it. You could be mine. But you're way out of line. And don't forget, we have exclusive tickets to the grave of Axl Rose coming up at 7. You too can see where the guy is buried, or at least where we think he is. Because a lot of people were buried in the same spot because of all those bombs and shit. That's coming up at 8 o'clock. Listening to all the easy listening hits of 2018. Relax! <laughs> I'm going to bust you up, man. <laughs> we teach you oh, how to make time machines so you too can send someone back to plow your mother. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just do the rest of the episode like that. <laughs> I want a radio station in 2018. Uh, not the real. We had one in 2018, but this 2018 alternate. Um was it a CD that was in there? Like, was somebody just in the middle of listening to Alice in Chains and all Night of a track. sudden, boom, bombs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why is this like – that would be playing the oldies. Who is driving that car? Why are we not hearing something? Why aren't we – Beyonce would probably be more likely to have been in somebody's CD player <laughs> yeah, than I Alice in Chains in 2004. I can see it like all of a sudden I turn the car and I'm like, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. <laughs> my body's so delicious. What's this? Something my sister used to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> NSYNC pops on the radio It's gonna be me <laughs> I've never heard anything quite like this before It's majestic uh, So um, Does the, the The car chase happens here first Yeah so the, the car chase happens uh, They switch driving because Kyle Reese says I've never driven before Which is Probably something that actually backs up what I was saying about n not using a lot of technology. Uh, not that there's a lot of cars on the road or reason to go anywhere either. Uh, a Terminator gets taken out with a tire iron. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Liquid metal. The only thing they didn't try was a tire iron. <laughs> they kryptonite. How quickly could 
Yeah, Terminator 3 could have been ended very quickly if Kate just whipped her tire iron out of her vet mobile that she had in the back. I just want that Terminator to uh, turn and be like, Ow! That really hurt! Yeah. <laughs> Who threw that tire iron? I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot! <laughs> and John Connor, there, we've discovered the ultimate weapon. Tire irons! It's tire irons! <laughs> uh, they pull into a 7-Eleven. Um... There's a milk bottle, which they can tell uh, has not got... It's not sour cream yet, so somebody's here. Somebody's been it's drinking from, this. It's from 7-Eleven. Nothing ever goes bad at 7-Eleven. I mean, that, that's 16 years old, that under that. <laughs> yeah, like, where did this milk come from? Like, okay, nobody's producing milk in bottles in 2018. Breast milk. So this either has stayed... Yeah, this breast milk. Uh, that old lady who comes out, she's milking those tits good. <laughs> <laughs> all the plot holes are starting to become clear here best line I've ever heard come from Colin Hilding's mouth she's milking those tits good <laughs> that's making the best uh, of <laughs> but yeah seriously where did the milk come from like it was it, it never expired powdered milk maybe but why is it in a milk bottle like a milkman would have delivered in 1985 <laughs> Uh, They've got one cow. They've just got a cow sitting there. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we get uh, the, these people very protective of their 7-Eleven who are living in a 7-Eleven because uh, there's a lot of space there for entire families to live with old ladies. Uh, and there's a debate about whether they should let these people eat because they've got a little child there. Here's the only significance the child has is that the old lady wants to bring them in. But it doesn't matter because they're all dead in a second anyways because – the biggest complaint that fans had when this movie came out was what we're about to see here, and that's the 30-foot-tall, 6,000-pound robot that just sneaks up on them. No ground tremors. A T-Rex will create a ripple <laughs> in a cup of water. This milk should have been like sloshing all over the place <laughs> because a 30-foot robot appears, which is... My reaction when I saw this in 2009, this is one of the things where I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Look at the size of that thing. And then I, I can't remember who it was. I wish I could remember. It might have been Christian Bale. It might have even been Mick G. But somebody involved in the movie afterwards. It was like, you know, now that more time has passed, I can see some of the fans' complaints. And they said specifically this. Like the 30-foot-tall robot, maybe we should have had a couple of, like, booms in the distance before it just appeared here. Uh, unless this thing was just disguising itself as a tree in the backyard i don't know <laughs> uh but we get another uh sequence here the um, uh marcus comes up with the idea of pushing a tanker and how this is working i don't know they're driving a tanker that should be towed by a semi-truck they're pushing it with a regular truck forward none of this physically makes any sense the tanker gets pushed in the giant terminator explodes you think it's gone uh and um, the giant robot Terminator emerges from the fire, of course, uh, and uh, we get um, this all leading into the plane sequence, which was – I blinked when I was rewatching this. At what point did these hunter killers appear and this become a plane sequence? Uh, I don't even know. This is obviously where uh, Reese and the little girl get kidnapped, I'm guessing, but I swear I scratched my eyes and then half the movie went by. I'm assuming this is where Reese got kidnapped. Did you have a note on that? He got kidnapped. <laughs> there we go. It's very uh, War of the Worlds. Here. Yeah, it was yeah. 
Okay, it's it's here. Oh no, he, uh, so yeah, yes. No, 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 no. Hang on. No, they get kidnapped when they fall off the bridge. Okay, so they fall off a bridge. There's something else that happened while I was blinking. Um, yeah, must have been a bloody long blink. <laughs> <laughs> or I just got bored. Who knows? I'm just uh, closing my eyes to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm not even tired. <laughs> Milk those tits, uh, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get the plane sequence here. So some of the resistance planes come to take out the hunter killers. Um, they fall off. I do remember they're hanging off of the bridge. So there's something. Uh, this leads to the planes going down. Uh, again, decent action sequence. I feel like the opening stuff. This the first half is pretty good. Um, Marcus emerges from the water, doing what? <laughs> One pilot has survived. He's trying um, to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's be honest. He's trying to be. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, one pilot survives. We get Moon Blood Good, Moon McBlood Good. <laughs> <laughs> Love her name. It's amazing. Uh, oh. And um, she meets him. Uh, we get your uh, typical goons. As I said, the Bill Paxton rolls here that they meet. Uh, we done caught us a donkey, which I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but that's what they say. That's, that's uh, 2018 post-apocalyptic speak for hello. Yeah, that, that's that's 2018's. I'm gonna bust you up. They've been so we misunderstood. Con- this is like you know, this is the humans developed in like the years since Judgment Day, right? That's just been them being polite. They probably go, hey, what are we doing? We're just saying hello. We're trying to make friends. Uh, but she's being all polite. She's got antibiotics in her bag. There's enough for all of us to share. And they're like, <laughs> I'm gonna bust you up, donkey. Um. And then we get uh, uh, the fight sequence. Uh, Blair, the pilot, shoots one of them in the leg. Um, and I don't know. Let's just... Uh, I, my next note is no extraction plan. I don't know what that means. And this is the movie where nothing happens. So let's just cap it there while I try to find the next part where something actually happens here. Uh there we go. Yeah. Oh no. Let's let's just quickly go during Blair and um, uh, Sam Worthington Bland Marcus's uh, escape. They eventually come across a minefield. Uh, she says it's okay. They're magnetic. They're only attracted to machines. We've had no clue here. He's anything but. Unless you're just thinking, well, it's been 15 years. A mine attached itself to his leg. All of a sudden, boom. Well, how did that happen? We cut to him waking up on the operating table. Kate is there. The only thing she does in this movie. She's trying to parent. Does he have a prosthetic leg? And then all of a sudden, uh, what's that? And they're obviously looking at his chest. Let's cut there. Obviously, we're going to come back and we're going to find out everything important about Marcus. I did they not reveal in the trailer that he was a robot? I feel they did. I I don't remember knowing it going in. So if they did, maybe it was a later trailer. Um, because I remember being surprised by this. I remember not. Maybe- <laughs> I remember knowing this was kind of what he was. So. Have to revisit the trailers, but yeah, I, I maybe this is one of these movies where I avoided. I saw like the teasers and avoided some of the trailers. Only watched the TV spots, but yeah, I do have a vague recollection that this was leaked somehow. But at least when I went in, I had no idea. And this could also be one of these things like the Terminator Two thing that maybe if they did spoil it, how great would it have been if you knew nothing going in? 
That's why I like it. And we'll just date when we're recording this to say that as we're recording this, the first trailer for Dark Fate came out. And oh boy. we've both been a little bit underwhelmed. So like they probably deliberately made it look shit so that we go into it and it's like the most incredible thing we've ever seen. Um, the thing that confuses me among many things is when uh, Marcus, Sam Worthington, whatever his name is, sort of, you know, meets up with Kyle and, you know, what year is it? Which um, is a direct quote. Actually, I read a couple of cool little um, trivia bits about this was the fact that when he says like, what, what, what's the date? Like, what's the year? Like, that's an exact yeah. replica of the quote. From the Kyle year! And he, he, Marcus is the one who teaches Kyle the whole thing with the shotgun on the arm. Like, it's a very subtle little scene. And then that's mm. what he uses in the Terminator. Like, I thought they were kind of clever reading that. Um, Marcus is quick to say, like, I need to go north. Like, I need to see someone. How does he know? Like, is, is this just meant to, we're meant to know that he's going to go see... Hell in a Bottom Card. Is that what it's meant to be? Because it, 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 this much has come to the underdevelopedness of the, the story, the script, the characters, everything, because it just kind of feels like I don't know who he's going to see, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I, uh, well, you said it right there. It, it, it all would make a great movie if they developed <laughs> any of this. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of, it's just, it's confusing. Um, I mean, look, on everything, I mean, you obviously covered a fair bit there, but it's kind of, it, re- it reminds me so much of War of the Worlds when they start kidnapping all the people and putting them in the uh, little pub things. Like, when you know, in War of the Worlds when they're walking and they've got them all connected in those. That's a good movie. We should cover that. That's a, that's, I like Ugh, War of the Worlds. You, you don't like War of the Worlds? No. Oh, I, I really enjoy that But movie. I love Tom Cruise, so I'd be willing to do it. Okay. Uh, the movie or Tom Cruise? Tom, well, <laughs> 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 do I have to pick just one? <laughs> no, I mean... That's an unfair question. We all know the answer is both. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. The, the chases are action, but not, they don't match the the car chases from the first three films. Um, I think because you, you feel there's more at stake in those first three films, whereas this one it's just kind of like, oh yep, yeah, cool action sequence. Um, I've never really thought too much about that giant thing coming up with no boom crashes. I mean. You know, Jurassic Park's my favourite movie and the criticism a lot of that gets at the end is how does the T-Rex appear in the visitor centre without them hearing the boom, 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 considering that, you know, earlier on we had the ripples in the water. So maybe I'm just, you know, immune to that sort of criticism. Uh, I'm, I'm immune to a lot of criticism. I'm Ben Waterworth. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... The oh what was that oh when we meet what's the name Moon Do Good or Do Blood Moon Blood Good <laughs> Moon Blood Moon Good <laughs> Sorry I just I love this woman I just love the fact that her name is Moon Blood Good like it sounds like it's so- the greatest name in the history of movies <laughs> How is this woman not more famous Like she should be uh-huh. like the most famous person just because her name is Moon Blood Good Like that sells itself. Like moon blood good you know, in blood is good. <laughs> I I expected that she maybe was one of like these cult actors, right? I'm like, oh, maybe she's like like a Michael Ironside. She's appeared in a lot of things, and she'd be big in a Comic Con. So I clicked on her page here on Wikipedia. Says uh, Karina Moon Bloodgood is an American actress and model known for her role as Lieutenant Blair Williams in 2009's film Terminator Salvation. This is still the biggest thing she's done. Hmm. Apparently. Um, she was a Laker girl. Uh, that just reminds me of um, Bowfinger. <laughs> I will not flash myself, oh, yeah. show myself to the Laker girls. 
Um, but like you were talking before about the sort of the R rating and that, like, oh, they cut a topless scene. When she removes a top, you do see a bit of side nipple. So you know, you do see. I knew it. you'd catch it. <laughs> you know, I've literally written on my thing, "Hello, boobs," uh, and that was just Sam Worthington's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 just, I do feel that this was spoiled coming into it, that I did see in a trailer that he was a, a robot thing. So I sort of wasn't surprised when it, like, connects to his leg and blows up. Um, yeah, and, like, just, there's no chemistry between these two. And this is, again, the mm-hmm. underdeveloped nature of this movie. It's, it's almost the... No, I don't want to say this. Oh, fuck, I'll say it. The Vespa Lynn sort of school of falling in love. Oh, like just... don't go there. <laughs> because it's just kind of like, they literally meet. She removes the top. She has this weird moment where she's like covering her boobs and they sort of stare at each other like, ooh, chemistry. I've got no top on. Like, any man in his right mind is going to be doing exactly what Sam Worthington is doing if a woman... Or a woman. Was... Or woman, or man with a topless man. Any human, if there is another topless human in front of them uh, and they're covering their nipples in that manner, there's going to be a moment of, ooh. Uh, it's going to be back to Vanessa Redgrave. And Michelle, uh, so, and then next minute, he comes in and kicks all their asses because they call him a donkey or something. And then all of a sudden, she's, like, laying on him. It's like, oh, it's just for body warmth or whatever. Like, oh, God, the love scale is just and building they here. they go nowhere with it. I know. It just it leads to her letting him free, which no consequences for her because John Connor's basically like, why did you do it? Sorry, hang on. Like, why did you do it? Um, and she's just like, because. I'm like, okay, you're free. <laughs> like, that's literally what happens. Um... Yeah, I really have nothing to say because nothing is really happening. Like, I can't believe you talked about it for that long because I think, like, legitimately, this is the big twist in the movie that he's actually a machine and, oh, we should be surprised because he's been laying in bed or on a, not bed, a morgue for 15-odd years and he's alive and he hasn't aged and yet we're meant to be surprised that all of a sudden he's actually not who he says he is. And this is where the movie goes wrong because... The same way I said the idea of, you know, oh, we're resetting the future, killing Kyle Reese. Maybe some explanation for that would have been nice, but it's still something that makes it feel like a Terminator movie. These Terminator movies need the threat of a machine. A cameo from a T-800 is not enough. All the other machines are just background characters. And we don't really even get one one major one. It's like, oh, there's one Terminator that's going to be really hard to top. You know, it's just a blink and you miss it thing with the T-800 at the end. If the movie had gone here and they still had it where he's conflicted, where the scene coming up is actually, you know, kind of intense where he's like, I'm human. And then he looks down his chest. You're like, that's that's actually a really creepy scene. If you imagine being him and then John saying we've been at war since you know, before either of us were even born and stuff like that. Um, that's the whole setup for the movie that I would want to see. And this is going all the way back, all the way back to one week ago. Uh, Terminator 3, but like back to, you know, when they had Arnold Schwarzenegger corrupted by the TX. And I said that could have been a bigger part of the movie. I would have loved to have seen at least, you know, 20 minutes of the movie of now we got to escape from the guy who's trying to protect us. Mm. Imagine the same thing here. I'm going to detail a little bit more later on about the machine's plot of using this secret weapon. Marcus makes no sense also because Nothing in his mind. They say he has some type of chip in him here, but at no point do we feel like he's been programmed for anything. 
you know, other him saying, oh, I got to go north or whatever. This is all just like a complete fluke. How would the machines know exactly who he would find, where he would find? But if you had it where it was detailed and there were things he was doing that were questionable or maybe other people started going missing. Let's say he meets several people, Blair included, and several of them start just dying off in the middle of the night. And it's like the Terminators, they have some type of stealth Terminator that's getting them. And then all of a sudden when he wakes up here, he has flashes of killing those people. That makes this whole second half of the movie more interesting because John trusts him, but it's like you know he has been programmed. He's doing things that he has no control over. That never happens here. He's still just a guy. And them setting him up as, well, he was a murderer. You could have gone somewhere with that. Had it be like, you know, he's a dangerous person. He doesn't he doesn't want you to trust him because like I may just murder you because that's who I am, a murderer. <laughs> they do nothing. He just comes across like a regular guy Who's suddenly like, I got metal in my chest. Where'd this come from? You're um, so right. Just, just you, you yeah. really, you're on, you're on fleek today, Colin Hilding. <laughs> Thank let's, you. Let's speak with the kids because, like, you, you really <laughs> are killing nail the head on things because this, this, this is maybe going to take our overall rating of this movie down. This, I like episodes like this. I do like episodes mm. like this where you kind of come in maybe not knowing what you're doing or you're thinking, and then kind of you do get swayed a different direction because, yeah, like. It's weird that they sell this guy as a, like, death row inmate who, what, murdered cops and their families or something Hmm. like that. And he basically is trying to sell himself as, I'm a bad guy. Like, you know, I'm I'm not a good guy. Um, I acted better there than Sam Worthington did. Absolutely. Um, And then all of a sudden he just, like, wakes up and is like, oh, cool, I'm going to go north. Um, And then it's like, oh, fuck, I'm a machine. But I'm not bad. And, like, you're saying you were bad before. And now all of a sudden... You have this huge element at the end of the movie where, like, I'm going to sacrifice myself and give you my heart. Like, it really doesn't make sense. Like, hmm. Jesus Christ, light bulb moment right now for this movie. Yeah, you could have gone either by him being... Because that character we get introduced to in the opening scene, he's nothing like that character for the rest of the movie. And if he's been reprogrammed, wouldn't he be reprogrammed to be worse? Hmm. Like, he's not... He's a nicer guy than Kyle Reese throughout most of this movie. It's just, it's the wrong direction they took with him. And once you reach this point in the movie, this scene here between John and Marcus is a great scene, despite Sam Worthington's overacting and, ah! (laughs) But it's just, the movie sets up something really intriguing and then just goes the complete wrong direction here, which is why I think all the good stuff is what I remember from the first half of this movie, even though there's a lot of questionable things here. Um, but uh, this is also the scene where John says, you know, uh, I'm the son of Sarah Connor, the son of Kyle Reese. This is the name everybody's speaking, and now he's just telling everybody who Kyle Reese is. Of course the machines would know who Kyle Reese is. John probably told them. That's, but that's, that's it. That explains it. Like, John's just chilling at home, like, listening to the tapes of his mum, and there's just a machine listening in, like, going, Oh, yeah. that makes okay. That's why we're going to kill Kyle Reese. Because again, humans are dumb in this movie, and John is probably the dumbest. John just has like PTSD Tourette's or something like that, and every time he encounters <laughs> the machine, he's like, "Oh, Kyle Reese is my dad." <laughs> what, did, what? I didn't say that. I said uh, Polar Fleece isn't bad. Uh, that's what I said. What are you talking about? Uh, but also the other complaint I have here is John's knowledge of everything and the idea of him being the savior. I like it much better that John was born to be this leader, uh, you know, through fate or whatever, the way that Terminator 3 told the story and not, well, it's because he knows everything about machines. Nobody knows how he knows all these things. There'd be no reason for John to know everything he knows. 
he encountered a Terminator and a T-1000 uh, that have not yet been born yet. So all he should know is here's some technology that's going to come later. Everything else he's getting from these tapes from Sarah. Sarah had like three conversations with Kyle Reese. And they were all in the movie, and they're all basically Judgment Day happens. Machines take over. We're sent back in time to destroy you, and then we're sent back in time to kill you. That's all she should know. So where does all this knowledge come from? That kind of ruins John Connor for me too because I like him better being he's a guy who's eventually going to grow into this incredible leader. Sure, he has some knowledge, but that it's not like that's what would help him as a leader. It's just uh, – I, I just I, – I get really bothered by – Sarah being propped up as the person who set him up to be this leader because what Terminator 2 told us is, and even Terminator 3 is that she just trained him to be a mercenary mm. nowhere in Terminator 2 and 3 is Sarah like okay this is gonna happen and then because he, he has a line here where he says my mother didn't tell me anything about a Terminator with real organs she wouldn't tell you anything about these she doesn't know how they work yeah don't blame her little shit yeah. Hamilton's awesome Unless she's in Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, you know what's funny? acted in a while. Colin Lieber alone. There, there's so mu- there was so much excitement for Linda Hamilton coming back. We're, we're getting off topic here for a second, but I'm actually going to wrap up the rest of the movie in the next section here. I was about here, to say, so, you uh, can legitimately talk about the rest yeah. of the movie in your next bit. Like, it's not that much happening. I'm going through my notes. I'm like, whoa, here we go. This is the end. But, um, you know, all the excitement about Linda Hamilton coming back and... I feel like she is – she's better served as – I'm not going to say a supporting character. We we sort of talk about what would her role have been in Terminator 3. You know, the Sarah Connor Chronicles was a great show. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're bringing her back and that they're – maybe they're just building the whole marketing campaign around it. Probably by the time this episode goes up, a couple months from the time of recording this, there's been a new trailer and we realize, well, her role is, you know, less – but – all the marketing behind that first trailer is Sarah Connor's back, and like this whole movie's going to be her. I don't think I want to see a sixty-year-old woman and nothing but her. And it has more to do with the character than anything else because I don't think that Sarah Connor is enough to carry the movie on its own. And I know we're going to have new characters and all that, but I'm almost I'm almost contradicting myself because I'm saying here with this movie, one of the problems is you introduce Marcus, a character the audience has no investment in. And you're expecting them to care as much as they do about the John Connor stuff, who they have investment in. But I don't know. The Terminator franchise, in a way, I think is just doomed to never follow up Terminator 2. Because no matter what they try, it's never right. You know, so I'm as guilty as everybody else. Anyways, moving on. I think it's it's, it's that way with so many films, though. And it's it's just the cash cow that is Hollywood. I mean, we see it with the Jurassic Park films. And we talked about that last year. As much as I love Jurassic Park, each film tries to just do what Jurassic Park did. And you're never going to do what Jurassic Park did. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you get why they do it. But you would argue that the Terminator franchise is one of these ones where they just, they should have given up after probably this film. Um, because they just seemingly, like, the rights keep changing, they keep, you know, trying it every few years, and it just, it gets to a point where it's like, well, at what point are you going to realise you can't make this a thing? It was a thing, um, and just because other franchises are rebooting themselves and surviving and doing new things doesn't mean that you can then be a thing. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in his 70s, and, yeah. you know, he's going to be dead one day. Probably dead by the time we've released this, because we'd no doubt have killed him, because oh, this is what sorry. we do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just, 
I'm, again, jumping ahead of myself here with this. This is something we talk about at the end of this episode or next episode. But, um, yeah, moving on. Um, also, Kate has incredible skills as a surgeon for somebody who's a veterinarian's assistant. And, uh, and can I just What med school ne- did you go to after Judgment Day? You never hear her name until one scene at the end. So, in no way... Do you realise that this is the Claire Danes character from T3 yeah. until at one point they say Kate? Like, oh, she's and got red hair. She must be the same person. I wonder if there's deleted scenes with her character as well because I'm just looking at Wikipedia here and the paragraph they have on Kate is all talking about all this stuff that Bryce Dallas Howard did to prepare for the movie and all the the backstory she developed, which actually is funny. It, it, it says here how she went from veterinarian to doctor. All this backstory they had for Kate, she's barely in this movie. And and even though Bryce Dallas Howard obviously is bigger now because of Jurassic World, I mean, she got cast in Jurassic World um, not too long after this movie had come out. So obviously she had some star power even in 2009. I mean, the help came out after this. I get that and all that. But I knew who Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard was. The Village was a huge hit. People knew who she was from Spider-Man. You don't put her in this movie and not give her anything. There has to have been a bigger character here. Why is she kind of – were they that dedicated to just getting this movie under two hours? They felt they had to cut everything out of the movie. But, I mean, Michael Ironside probably has more screen time than she does in this movie. Mm. I, I would agree with that. Unless we know his name, don't we? Yeah. Do we? Well, Michael he's Michael Ironside. It's always Michael Ironside. What's his name? <laughs> I googled uh, dad from Dharma and Greg, and legitimately the guy who I'm thinking of does look like Michael Ironside, so you can see what, where I was Hold confused. on. What's his name? I'm going to Google it. Oh, God. I moved it ages ago. Jesus, get with the picture. Um, I just literally typed in Dharma and Greg parents in Google <laughs> Images, and there's like a cast image, because he was um, the dad of Dharma, so he was the quirky dad, not the uptight oh. asshole dad. We'll, we'll find out. We'll get him on here to talk about how great he was in... Yeah. Uh, Highlander and Starship Troopers. He's on the uh, line right now. <laughs> said all the time. Um, okay, so... Alan, Ra- Alan Ra- Ratchins. Ra- Rackins? Ratkins. Alan... A-L-A-N. Ra- Alan. R-A-C-H-I-N-S. Ratchins. All right, let's see here. Um, you're right. This is the guy I was thinking of. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Darman Greg, but this is the guy. Uh, what do I know him from, though? Let me see here. Grey's Anatomy. Uh, you clearly know him from Grey's Anatomy. No. Oh, L.A. Law. Okay, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen L.A. Law? Oh, I think I was too young when it came out, but I know what I, it is. I was, like, my mom loved L.A. Law, and I remember probably – this is why I associate with Starship Troopers. They had it in reruns around the time that Starship Troopers came out. Um, so I, I just remember being that age, not that it had any relevance to Starship Troopers, but except that I'm like, oh, that's the guy from Starship Troopers. And my mom was like, he's in Starship Troopers because he was on L.A. Law and she got excited. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. OK, there we go. See, wow. you see where I got confused. See, I'm not just an idiot. I wanted <laughs> to. <laughs> Anyways, um, before I move up already, my... come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm the movie. I just want to quickly. Star Wars Episode Two comes out tomorrow, Colin. People want to listen to that. That's the, the one. one. It's irritating, and it gets I everywhere. Come tomorrow. Just tomorrow, in less than twenty-four hours, people are going to hear twenty hours of us talking about it's coarse and rough and irritating, and gets everywhere. You know that's going to be the one episode we forget to say it, right? 
I know. Well, if we titled those episodes, <laughs> what it would be called? Uh, so Sam Worthington had already filmed Avatar by the time he made this movie, and it was based on James Cameron's recommendation because James Cameron met with McGee, and also James Cameron uh, talked to Sam Worthington, I guess, in setting this up, and specifically told Sam Worthington the Terminator movie they need to make is the one that's about the war. So we do have James Cameron to blame for all of these movies because uh, he gets even more involved in Genesis and then even more involved in Dark Fate. Uh, but before Sam Worthington was recommended by James Cameron, thank you very much, uh, Mick G was looking at Christian Bale, obviously, for the role of Marcus, Josh Brolin, and Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, he would have won an Oscar for it then. <laughs> Can you imagine Day Lewis gets the call? Uh, you have a call here from Mick G. He would like to talk to you about the Terminator movie. <laughs> I just, I just picture Daniel Day Lewis sitting in like some snooty apartment with like a cup of tea all the time. He's going, eh, Mick G. No, I'm polishing my Oscars. Uh, have you ever? Please tell me you've seen There Will Be Blood. I haven't seen There oh, Will Be Blood. Okay, I mean, three hours long. <laughs> It not maybe not your cup of tea, but amazing movie and his best performance. The, the greatest line he has. You want to talk about the greatest moment of screaming and uh, overacting ever? He has a moment where he just breaks down and screams about abandoning his child. And says, I abandoned my child. I abandoned my child. <laughs> and I used to get my nephews and nieces when they're like three or four years old to scream. I abandoned my child. <laughs> That's the greatest moment ever. Uh, you, you tops anything Christian Bale screams in this movie. So I, uh, yeah, I would love to have seen Daniel Day Lewis going. Ah, I'm, I'm being honest. I, I, I respect Daniel Day Lewis. The guys won three Oscars, but I think I've probably only seen him two films. That was Lincoln and the dressmaker, or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, <laughs> Phantom thread. What, what was it called? And I fell asleep in both of them. So yeah, you know what? Find whichever movie he did with Renee Russo, and we will watch another one next year. <laughs> Probably won an Oscar Let's, for that, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Let's uh, wrap this up here, because we actually legitimately have half the movie here to go, but it's not much happening. Um, Blair, after the, the uh, thing where John has him chained up and Marcus realizes he's not human, uh, Blair thinks that uh, he's a good guy. It's like, he's a machine. He's like all the rest of them. Um, and Jamie actually legitimately in this section of the movie when John's in his brooding mode just keeps saying it's like you rattled his cage it's like why is he talking like Batman the whole movie (laughs) she's doing the Batman voice like can he do anything and not sound like Batman (laughs) I'm Batman (laughs) Uh, but uh, she decides she wants to break out Marcus the murderer he has a couple of flashes here this is where I thought that maybe maybe there was some sequence because he starts going through uh, oh oh, no is that later on Um, uh, no it is later on when he syncs with the computer never mind Uh, but um, uh, he gets snuck out by Blair Uh, she tricks the the guard by basically saying "Uh, so uh, somebody wants to talk to you John wants to see you right now okay don't worry I'll guard him and she basically shoots Marcus to trick him into thinking but when he goes you wanted to see me boss Blair she's at it again (laughs) it's such a bad like 80s 90s (laughs) give me your badge Blair (laughs) moment again (laughs) you're suspended (laughs) Um, too old for this shit (laughs) <laughs> it's uh the movie totally falls apart here uh so they sneak out um they're back into the minefield um marcus escapes there's a cool shot where they uh sh- shoot or he's trying to the, the guys are trying to get him in blair he holds his hand out and they shoot him through the hand i always love when the you see the anatomy the terminator start to come out 
Um, th- there's another questionable moment here when there's the, the flames that come when he protects her and none of his clothes or her hair get burned and Jamie actually maybe rewind. He's like, how come her hair didn't get burned? I'm like, You're I don't know so who's sad her. There. You're like, no one's yes. burning. <laughs> I want to see burning people. <laughs> uh, but sadly, nobody gets burned here and apparently her hair was exposed because Jamie noticed it. Um, uh, during the escape... Uh, we get the water terminator, which is a really cool idea. This uh, e- water terminator eel or whatever that attacks the helicopter. Uh, we get the showdown between John and um, uh, I wrote Connor and John. I think I meant Marcus and John. Uh, they decide to work together, which this should have been like a last minute thing in the movie. You have him chasing Marcus. You have Marcus being conflicted, not knowing what's going on. And then eventually in the end, they decide to work together. But he says, you know, get to the base. Here's the signal. Uh, look for the bat signal in the sky. <laughs> get to the chopper. Then, get to the chopper. Uh, Blair's interrogation scene, which again, underdeveloped. You should have had John questioning Blair. And why did you do it, Blair? And it lasts like 10 seconds, and then that's it. Uh, that's what a lot of Christian Bale anyway. So. We have actually spent more time talking about Daniel Day-Lewis than Blair has <laughs> this point on the movie because she's just gone from the movie at this point they give all this development and then nothing uh and then we find out that skynet has kyle reese so uh (laughs) that's basically what he's saying he's just call off the attack they've got kyle reese oh your dad that's why everybody (laughs) stop killing people they're listening Uh, in their machines you're speaking to me on a machine you idiot yeah, exactly. It's uh, I, There really is a lot of plot holes in the movie. He has his stay the course line here. Um, uh, at this point, I'm realizing him talking about all the, the futures of it. This is the only way we're going to stop Skynet. Um, uh, he's as crazy as his mom. Like, this is the moment where Kyle Reese and Sarah were basically looking like lunatics. It's like... It's machines from the future. They send my dad back in time. <laughs> he should be committed. I want to see Dr. Silverman reappear here and commit John Connor. And that you're relieved of your command. And the doctor's like, I finally have my revenge. <laughs> um, but they want John to stand down, uh, to not go after Skynet. Don't attack it. Uh, he, John really would come across as arrogant here where he's like, Kyle Reese is the key if he gets wiped. And he even says, even to the people who he trusts, he's like, if Kyle dies, then I'm wiped from existence. And then what happens? These people are still just taking him at his word that he is going to be important in the future. He must come across like the biggest douche to half these people. I can understand why there's a resistance against John Connor in this movie. I'm too important to die. And this little kid's too important because he's my dad. <laughs> like, I would be shooting this guy at this point. I do um, like, though, they mentioned earlier at one point where they're like, oh, you know, the John Connor, some people think he's a prophet. I don't believe in that. Like, it kind of, he, you would think he would be seen as kind of this figure once word gets out about, you know, everything that happened beforehand, I guess. Like, I don't understand how any of these people are following him because he actually does sound like a lunatic in this movie. You know, we said it's understandable why the, the cops are treating Reese that way. It's understandable why Sarah's getting a lobotomy and having her face licked. <laughs> um, there's no reason anybody should be following because John does come across like a ra- raving madman here. Uh, he has this, if we stay the course here, and uh, nobody uh, hears the order that Connor is relieved of his command. 
uh, we didn't hear nothing, man. <laughs> Continue on. Okay. Uh, he has his line where he says here, I'll be back to Kate. I was going to call it Claire again or Bryce. <laughs> I can't get her name right. Uh, what's his escape plan? Play the music. It draws his turn. All the hits from 1992. <laughs> here, by Guns N' Roses. Motor Terminators go crazy. Uh, he has a trip wire. He takes them out. He takes over the motorcycle. He speeds off. We get him and Marcus both on the perimeter at one time. This all happens way too quickly. Uh, Marcus gets inside. And in a blink of an eye, I did not blink here. But you think that there would be some type of resistance. Not that the, mach- the machines, obviously, there's a reason they're not fighting off Marcus. But something, Marcus having to sneak around more. He just walks in and suddenly he's at the mainframe computer and he's being synced. And this is where he gets all the flashes of everything that happened. And we see more connections to T3 about Cyberdyne being sold to the military. Uh, I would have wanted to see Sergeant William Candy there. <laughs> Get his cameo. Uh, reuse the footage. There you go. Cheap, cheap scene to add in there. Um, He's look. This is where I think he's looking up what happened. You know, he syncs with the computers, and he's trying to find out what happened. And I kind of read is he's looking for the doctor here. Uh, that maybe that was his girlfriend or something like that. And he finds out she died, and there's almost a look on his face like, no, she's dead. But like, he shouldn't have any any type of uh, you know relationship with her. But that's where I'm thinking maybe there was, or the kiss was just that good. <laughs> he just can't forget her 15 years later. Uh, John Connor syncs up his Sony Vio. Uh, was that a thing in 2004 when Judgment Day happened? Because they still exist here. Uh, this definitely should not be working. Everybody's still waiting on Connor's command. So uh, Michael Ironside, a.k.a. Alan Ratchens, can't give the command <laughs> to uh, give the attack on the mystery signal. Um, Marcus gets instantly repaired because he was all blown up and showing his Terminator form. Helena Bonham Carter reappears on the screen and slowly morphs into everybody else in the movie, except for Michael Ironside, sadly. Uh, uh, John's going after Kyle. All the prisoners are escaping. Uh, where's Kyle Reese? Where's Kyle Reese? <laughs> uh, this is another one of the big plot holes because Marcus, if he... The, the machines are basically saying, we won. We set you up to lead us to Kyle Reese and John Connor. But, like... There's no reason he should have ever run across him. It was all just coincidence. And if he had had any program for the machines, we should have seen him do something in their favor. But he just comes in here. Now, he is in Terminator Salvation what the T-1000 was in Terminator 2, or at least the future sequences of T-2, and what the TX was in the future sequences of T-3. The most advanced machine. He's just like, I can't believe you did this to me. Well, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go help the humans. All right. That's a write-off. <laughs> and then let him go. He's way more valuable than anything else. Like, you spent 15 years developing this, more than time you spent on anything else, and you're just going to let him walk away. It's so stupid. Uh, and I never got as frustrated until I watched it this, t- this time here. Uh... We, we eventually find out the signal is just a trap. This is It's a trap! No, it's a uh, trap! This is, the, this is the Death Star moment here. Um, we planted that signal to lead us to the humans, and Michael Ironside's dead, just like that. Uh, the T-800, this is the really good moment. I don't care if it makes any sense or not. I'm not even going to think hard enough to try to find the plot hole here. 
when the door emerges during uh, Marcus's <laughs> escape, and you see the T-800. I did not know this coming in, uh, that you would see Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think I did. I think from memory I, I knew. Apparently in Australia, everything was spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, we are like 18 hours ahead of you guys, so, you know. Oh, that, that's why, yeah. <laughs> I, li- uh, I like the bit when you hear the... And there's subtle moments where they play on the score. This is the only Terminator movie that doesn't really feature that theme that prominently. But there's still a couple of subtle moments in there. And, and yeah, that moment where you get a da-da-da-da-da. And you see the effects don't all hold up today. But still, I think that was one of the early attempts to do this. I mean, this was a couple of years, maybe uh, maybe only about a year or so before Tron Legacy. And Tron Legacy uh, is, I guess, the movie that really uh, started doing the de-aging, that, where it was a major character playing both the old and young version of himself. This a little bit earlier. But I think it holds up pretty well, all things considered, a couple of shots. Uh, and it's great to see the T-800. I think it's way too brief in the movie. This should have led to a much bigger escape. And they get out of the Arnold look a little too quickly. It gets burned. Um, doesn't burn long enough. <laughs> um, the T-800 starts killing other machines here, which also doesn't make sense. Because there's other machines that Marcus and John and everybody is fighting off when... Uh, um, John eventually finds Reese and helps him escape and then the T-800 just basically chops another team Terminator in half to steal its weapons makes no sense at all they end up in this uh, action sequence on the assembly line which also remind me of Attack of the Clones coming tomorrow <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they're machines stuck on the assembly making machines how perverse <laughs> uh, oh I'm why still beside the- myself I love those ones. I can't so wait to talk about them. So do I. So do I. Yes. Nepios, bad puns. Such a drag. <laughs> Look forward to it tomorrow here on the Oz Network. Oh, no one's listening now. Oh god, they're defending the cheesy C-3PO one-liners. Oh fuck. Oh come. When they saw that we were covering two plus hours of Terminator Salvation, they didn't bother to download this. Um. Yeah, the assembly line sequence, we get the glimpse of the T-800 fuel cells, and John remembers something from Terminator 3 here about uh, that that's enough to level this whole place. It's basically a mini nuclear explosion. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, I wrote a note here just as they keep talking about things where John's knowledge of the future, like with the, the, the fuel cells and all that. I'm like, if his knowledge of the future, which is really only based on what Sarah knew, wouldn't Dr. Silverman have been a better leader for the resistance? Because he spent years hearing Sarah's stories. John didn't point. even live with her. Yeah, th- there's many people. Everybody who encountered Sarah in that mental institution, or sorry, mental the health facility. The guy who her face. He could be the leader of the resistance. When Judgment Day happened, they would have all been like, it was true, I licked the face of the woman that predicted the future. <laughs> we uh, are not worthy. We are not worthy. <laughs> uh... During the fight sequence here, the escape with Marcus and John working together, uh, John gets stabbed through the chest. Um, Marcus saves him. They all get out. Um, Marcus's heart stops here, or, or um, uh, the, the, Marcus gets punched in the heart, so that shuts him down. Uh, eventually, they use the what do you call it? The electrocution to start Marcus's heart again. The T-800 gets stopped by being frozen. little throwback to Terminator 2 there. Um, and uh, when they get on the helicopter, they get medevaced out. And John has the detonator, which, of course, we barely notice this detonator being placed there. He explodes the whole thing because of all the fuel cells. Uh, 
Kyle gets given the coat when we get to the end of the movie here. You're part of the resistance now. Uh, and John's heart's dying. And it's like, he's lost the will to live. Uh, next week, coming soon. <laughs> we don't understand it. He's lost the will to live. Um, now, this I actually wanted to talk about because do you know anything about the original ending of this movie? Um, no. Good. I can surprise you with something, something that hasn't been spoiled. So all the way up until when they were uh, filming this movie – Maybe, I don't even know, maybe they even filmed an alternate ending. John was supposed to die here. And that was going to be their big twist. And Marcus was going to say the future needs their leader. And Kate and everybody else was going to say, John's dead. What are we going to do? And they're like, the future needs a leader. And they were going to basically graft John's skin onto Marcus's body, which Uh the twist was going to John Connor, leader of the future, was never John Connor. It was actually Marcus. Um, they decided against that, which I'm glad they decided against it. But at the same time, I'm thinking that's kind of a cool twist that would have had me more invested in seeing a sequel for this. Because this movie just sort of ends. Marcus says, take my heart. It's okay. And they get a heart transplant and John lives. But how – I don't know. There's not much to really talk. We just talked about the whole end of the movie. Some good stuff in there. But I – I'm very torn because I don't think I would have accepted that John Connor was never the great leader, but also did Marcus father their children who became important later on? Could he do that? He's a machine. Uh, Robert Seaman. Robert Seaman? Seaman. Seaman. It was just oil. (laughs) A lot of oil uh, and a couple of spark plugs that uh, birthed the future resistance. But like, it's a twist, I think, that would have been interesting enough that even if it didn't make sense, I would have been like, I kind of want to see that sequel. And living up to how great the T3 ending was, it's something. And this movie just sort of ends with, all right, he lives. And I remember seeing this the first time and thinking, wow, John might die. Like, that would be an interesting twist. And then the next movie can be about how does John come back to life? Maybe time travels evolved there. It really got my head spinning when he was dying. And then even later on when I found out about that alternate ending – and then I just look back at this movie. I'm like, I can understand why they were okay with rebooting again because as interested as I might have been to see more of this future war, this movie doesn't leave you with any real hook for the next one. Is the Resistance related to the Resistance in Star Wars? Like, are these all just connected? Is there, like, some big uh, universe that we are. don't know? Maybe. Um, and... Does this, like, when John Connor gets a heart, does he then jump onto Resistance Radio and be like, coming up next on Resistance Radio, I play a tribute <laughs> to my man Marcus, Celine Dion. My heart will go on. Um, go just... on. Because <laughs> it will, thanks to you, Marcus. My man. Did Titanic exist in the Terminator universe if James Cameron made Terminator and Titanic? Oh, that's a good question. Uh... <laughs> Why, do you want to move to that universe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, um, Bruce Willis exists in the Friends universe, even though Bruce Willis played uh, Ross's girlfriend's dad in the Friends universe, because like Joey and Chandler always watch Die Hard, so that's kind of one of those weird things. So I don't know. Of course. <laughs> yes, that's where we were all connecting that with. <laughs> um, why is Skynet so easy to infiltrate? Like seriously, like, this is. <laughs> Skynet, the the evil organization that destroyed the world, and they basically they just walk in there. Hello, I'm John Connor, um, and yeah, I mean with everything that you sort of talked about, I don't really have a whole lot to add because 
there's just not a lot to go. I mean, yeah, it's, it's such an odd thing to be like, oh, that was our plan all along for you to bring John Connor here. Wouldn't you plan all along to be like, hey, why don't you just friend him and kill him? It's just, it's, again, it's like the Scotty yeah. Evil <laughs> method. Like, why don't we just go? I've got a gun right now. We can go yeah. in there and shoot. <laughs> Scott, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> And they even say he has a chip in his head, so they have some type of control over him. Make the control, cut John Connor's neck, and bust him up. But better than having a chip on your shoulder. I mean, God, like you know, it's better than. And like, it's it's a it's a movie of coincidences, isn't it? Like, he meets Kyle Reese by coincidence. That ultimately gets him to meet John Connor by coincidence. So if their whole plan is for them to bring John Connor to Skynet, like. How was he going to do that if he didn't bump into Kyle Reese? Mm-hmm. Like, if he was walking down that street in LA and didn't yell out like, hey, and that thing started shooting at him, he never would have met Kyle Reese. So, you know, dumb. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd never heard that sort of ending before. That would have been very interesting. Um, I actually, I'd forgotten how this movie ended, so I kind of actually thought John Connor died. I'm like, oh, doesn't he die in this? And then clearly he doesn't. Um, but... Yeah, uh, I, I really like the Arnold bit too. I, I did think I knew that going, because I think maybe in the lead up to this, I looked up like, oh, you know, surely Arnold's going to make a cameo. Uh, and then kind of I read that it, there was going to be like a CGI moment where he appears. So um, did, <laughs> did Jamie get disappointed when they like kind of pan up his body and his like penis was blurred out or kind of like convenient <laughs> shadow like over his doodle? Uh, <laughs> she was tending to a baby at this point. I was going to call her and say, hey, Jamie, uh, naked man body, but no. <laughs> I'm like, I- I'd rather not hear the crying anymore. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the uh, CGI Edward Furlong that's actually legitimately happening yeah. in Dark Fate. So, mm-hmm. um, poor Edward Furlong. Not really. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have nothing else really to add. Uh, it, I mean, really, outside of Terminator 3, so far, all of the other three movies have kind of ended pretty anti-climax, haven't they? Yeah. Even Terminator 2 or Terminator 1 don't really exactly end well, on a... Well, I know. mean, I agree Terminator 2 doesn't end with, like, a massive twist other than, like, the Terminator... It, it's it's definitely a more effective ending than the others. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I can't and, wait for the sequel for this to find out how uh, John Connor's heart's playing out. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I haven't seen Terminator Genesis since... Um, uh, it first came out opening weekend, uh, but I almost wanted to restart this last night, but there was there was only, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes before we were going to start getting ready for bed. Uh, so I'm like, ah, oh, I'll just wait to watch it. But um, there is something they do with John Connor in the next movie that I'm now wrapping my head around thinking, could they have tied this in better if they had done that twist ending? Or would that have made Genesis a little bit more acceptable because a lot of people's complaints about genesis is what they would john connor as well uh but, i don't know fans are gonna be picky anyways but that kind of leads us into box office because i had the complete wrong memory of this movie i remembered this movie opening really strong like i thought this opened like 70 80 million dollars and then just dropped off after that but box office opening weekend for a movie that went pg-13 um and that there was, you know, anticipation behind this. I mean, this this came out 2009. You know, there was a, a lot of movies that underwhelmed that year. I mean, we're we're coming off of uh, the X Men Wolverine movie that was just a few weeks prior to this. Uh, but this movie didn't even open number one at the box office. Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, opened 54 million dollars that weekend, uh, and Terminator Salvation only opened with 50, 42 million dollars. 
So I don't know why I remembered this opening strong, but it really didn't. Uh, and this should have also been the next clue. You know, uh, Rise of the Machines obviously didn't do the overall box office of T2, but it had a really good opening. And here you have an opening less than that, and you've spent more money, and there's been more anticipation, and everybody did want to see this future stuff. Uh, overall, the the final run that it had was only $125 million domestically, which, again, it's not you know awful. Um, I'll have to look up what its uh, yearly ranking is here as well. But uh, I also want to look up um, what the uh, the overall box office was in the Terminator franchise. Uh, so of all the Terminator movies, uh, this movie is actually third. So Terminator 2 made $204 million. Rise of the Machines made 150. This made 125. Uh, then you have Terminator Genesis with 89 and The Terminator with 38. But again, when we went through the uh, adjusted grosses, you know, obviously because of inflation and all that, completely different uh, ticket prices in 1984, um, this movie still uh, outgrossed the first Terminator movie, which uh, would have been adjusted to about $100 million. This would be about 150 So still not bad, I guess. $2,019, this would be uh, about 150 Uh Still nowhere near Rise of the Machines, which would have been about 225 adjusted, and $438 million. But Genesis still, uh, even adjusted grosses, not cracked $100 million. Can't wait to get there next week. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, I could, you'll, you'll see the movie and you'll get it. Uh, <laughs> although, really, there's the other thing. I think that's why I'm surprised by the opening weekend gross for this, because I remember being shocked, even after I saw Terminator Genesis on opening weekend, how low that opened, thinking people hadn't seen this movie yet. It looked interesting. It looked cool. It was the return of Schwarzenegger. This was something people wanted to see. It had Christian Bale one year off of The Dark Knight, which was the second highest grossing film of all time at this point. Uh, we're a few months away from Avatar. Uh, uh, you know, Avatar, even a few months after this, would just beat The Dark Knight and Titanic. So Christian Bale is the hottest actor in the world, and this movie couldn't even open well it wasn't word of mouth at the point it came out uh but 2009 this was the year of avatar obviously that would be the highest Christmas movie of the year transformers revenge of the fallen again another movie that came out that summer that underwhelmed people um star trek uh, outgrossed this movie alvin and the chipmunks the squeakwell outgrossed this movie <laughs> coming soon to the oz <laughs> network let's be honest yeah it's, it's about uh, time colin it, it's it's a big year for movies though because like I said, 125 million is not bad, but Terminator Salvation even 125 million is the 23rd highest grossing movie wow. of 2018. Uh, it's outgrossed by Angels and Demons. Uh, it just barely outgrosses Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Um, <laughs> just to <laughs> are you a fan of I'm Cloudy ex- with a Chance of Meatballs? Oh, everyone is a fan of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Come on, of I mean, course, that's an iconic film. <laughs> Um, putting that in perspective, uh, the 23rd highest grossing film of last year, 2018, was Ocean's 8, which also underperformed. So, you know, I guess, yeah, we could basically say it's the same thing. It's a reboot of the franchise. Uh, came a couple of years later. Slight ties to the original. Uh, didn't quite do the reboot. business they expected. All women reboot. <laughs> Sam Worthington, Kristen Bale. Uh, also, here's another thing that's disgusting. Uh, Sam Worthington was also recommended to Mick G by Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, what were you thinking? Well, I mean, Disgusting. at the same time, like, Russell Crowe did recommend Hugh Jackman for Wolverine, so 50-50, like, you know. Yeah, there we go. You're forgiven. Um, all right, so critically, 
This movie did not do well. 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, the audience score is actually 54%, which I think is pretty fair considering we're just saying there's nothing really wrong with it. Although we have pinpointed a lot wrong with it. Uh, but the majority of the ones, uh, negative reviews. Uh, here's one, an Australian review here. Jake Wilson from The Age. Are you familiar with The Age? Uh, I am, yes. It's a prominent Melbourne newspaper. Uh, I oh, prefer The Herald really? Sun. It is. It's, it's uh, the... You know, you have your tabloid and you have your broadsheet. The age is meant to be the reputable one. The Herald Sun's more the... Uh, the Herald Sun's from the company I used to work for. And I, I actually like the Herald Sun. It's probably my favourite Australian newspaper. But the age, yeah, it's for the hoity-toity Melbourne people. All right. Well, here's a hoity-toity Melbourne review. It's easy <laughs> to see why Bale was attracted to this role. But this often fascinating actor gives one of his least interesting performances. Completely fair, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's another good one from another Australian. There's a lot of Australian ones here on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Paul Burns from the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Uh, also hoity-toity. They're, they're the, the same umbrella as the, the age. So All right. Yes. Well, he puts, who cares what it means? Just make it loud. This is the way the series ends. Not with a whimper, but a bang. Except that it will probably go on, on a shade of its former glory. Also fair. Yeah. Uh, p- positive reviews here. Uh, Sean Davis of Sci-Fi Now says Terminator Salvation is a loud exercise in post-apocalyptic mayhem when the dust settles and the action subsides and intriguing story flourishes. I, I kind yeah. of agree just because I do think there is an intriguing story. It's just it's lost in a movie that didn't want to explore anything uh, other than loud noises and streaming. Most loud noises being streaming. Uh, anyways, um, Pluck keywords here. I found a great one that I can't wait to see because maybe we could do a month on PG-13 sequel to R-rated franchise month. Uh, Very topical. It's about time. Uh, Either that or research and development department month. (laughs) Oh, we know that's going to be good. Um, Two word title month. I'm sure we're going to get a huge list out of that one. Uh, What is Oh, A-10. I thought this was a, a 10 Thunderbolt aircraft. A-10 being the model. Hit on the head with a gun butt month. Now, I got to see what's on this list. <laughs> Terminator Salvation. The Last of the Mohicans starring Daniel Day-Lewis. We can do it. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, which we've already covered, and Rio Lobo, uh movie from 1970. And the sequel to that month, though, could be knocked out with a gun butt month. And <laughs> that would feature John Wick Chapter 3. Yes. <laughs> The Predator, The Incredible Hulk, and The Dark Knight. I'm looking forward to character repeating someone else's dialogue month. (laughs) Featuring John Wick 3, John Wick 2, uh, It, and Thor Ragnarok. Oh, well, hang on. There's also Running Out of Gas Month. And if this doesn't have The Last Jedi (laughs) on it, then um, something's wrong. Pitch Perfect. That's just about the (laughs) franchise, isn't it? That's not about the movie. Uh, Terminator Salvation, Sin City, and The Mist. So, no, it wasn't the whole plot about uh, uh, last year. Well, there's a lot of James Bond movies on this list. There's Doctor No, there's License to Kill. So. I actually need to know what's on Scratching Face Month. Uh, <laughs> and it is Terminator Salvation, The Lost Boys, Hellraiser, and Demons. There's a lot of face scratching in uh, sci-fi horror films, apparently. Well, Exploding Body Month, we could do... Ooh. Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, Aquaman, and Thor Ragnarok. So basically just a superhero month that one would be. Um, uh, yeah. And, oh, here's here's an original one. Uh, the Terminator month. 
<laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, you go, you go. I interrupted. I got excited. Featuring Terminator, Terminator 2, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Genesis, and Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, I'm going to follow that up with Gang Rape Attempt Month. Oh! We've all been waiting for it. Terminator Salvation, V for Vendetta. I would gladly do V for Vendetta. Trance, that iconic movie that we all love. And the TV movie, Highlander, The Source. Oh, the worst Highlander movie because there was no Michael Ironside. Mm. Uh, I'm was just Christopher shocked. Was Christopher Lambert in it? Still... Who? Christopher Lambert. I mean, that's a valid, that's a valid response to Christopher Lambert in 2019. But... <laughs> it should be. Are you not familiar with Highlander? in any way whatsoever i remember the first one because my dad used to watch it all the time okay, uh, you said christopher lambert's in it as if somebody was saying arnold schwarzenegger's in the terminator <laughs> like it's his series <laughs> but, well I, I didn't know that he appeared in every single sequel so <laughs> oh no there's i think there's one that he didn't oh I, this actually it's funny to think the the source is one he's not in so why is christopher lambert in that Who's he in the source? I, He's dead. No, no, no. I said, I said, is he? Like, that was my question. Oh, no. Like... Okay. No. I, okay, now you're <laughs> much of an idiot. Because Christopher Lambert's in Highlander the Source? I just, yes, I get right. it. Per- perfect, perfect reaction. Who? Yeah. <laughs> the only movie he's not in. Um, no, I, I'm just disappointed we don't see on here deleted scene featuring Moon Bloodgood's boobs. Uh, <laughs> A month. <laughs> to prevent an R rating month. British but, actor um, playing American character month. Returning character with different actor month. Uh. Uh, bland Australian actor month. Ooh, featuring Terminator Genesis, Terminator <laughs> Salvation, Avatar. Um, I don't know. Um, attempted rape. I just saw that attempted rape. Oh, this is awful. Seven Eleven um, month. Oh, we know that there's going to be something good on that, right? Terminator Salvation, War Games, I Am Sam, and Next. I would cover War Games. Matthew Broderick taking on a supercomputer better than Terminator Salvation. Mm. Uh, what are we going to do with this movie? You know, it, I think you hit the nail mm. on the head. Said <laughs> by by actually analyzing this movie, we're tainting our reviews because I wanted to come into this with a rent because I do feel like it's slightly entertaining. Jamie was asking me last night, "Do you like this one?" And I'm like, and "This was after the movie's over." I'm like, "There's nothing wrong with it. It's okay." And then you really start to think about all the plot holes, and you're like. This movie really does suck. Uh, <laughs> and it is not an unenjoyable suck. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's I feel like this should be binned because it really is a messed up movie. The things that could have been good about this movie, nothing was explored well enough. And there are plot holes that just make you question everything that happens in this movie. And so many decisions... This is like when we went through Spider-Man 3 and I detailed how Spider-Man 3 could have been done better. And I, I feel like we could make a better Terminator Salvation than this. So I feel like this has to be binned. Although I'm not going to blame Mick G because I think he did a decent job with what he had. So, so, you're, so you are binning it? Yeah, I have to bin it. It's, it's, it's so messed up. Think about it. I mean, the problem is, is that I could still watch this movie. Like, exactly. I don't... Like, I could honestly just put this on and just, you know, watch it. So, and I, I feel like a bin is a movie that I would never want to watch again. I, I um, that's different, though, because now that I've picked apart all these plot holes, I'm like, could I get enjoyment out of this again? Look, I'm still going to give it a very low rent. Just... 
purely on the fact that I could watch this movie again. I don't disagree with what you said, and I think, yeah, it's definitely tainted it. Um, but, yeah, I, if, if we had, like, a scale, like, if, you know, 1, 2, and 3 was a bin, 4, 5, and 6 was a rent, and 7, 8, 9, and 10 was a buy, this would be, like, a 4. Or, yeah. you know, like, a, it, just on the cusp. So, yeah, I'm just going to give this a super-duper-whooper-low rent. And I'm giving it a super duper whooper high bin. <laughs> this is something I would bin and then pull out of the garbage if I ever got in the mood for just some dumb entertainment. Yes, I would agree with that. Which leads us into dumb Terminator Genesis. <laughs> you know nothing about. Uh, funny enough, I how long ago did Terminator Genesis come out? 2015, I think it was. So it's not even that old, but yet I've forgotten almost everything about this movie, uh, except that I remember just walking up, like being really excited. I know there were people who were saying this movie looks stupid. You get that with every movie. Uh, if it, it, You got that with Terminator 3, Terminator 4. That's just today's fans. But I saw the trailer, and I'm like, I'm interested in this. And you know, the director, he's uh, Alan Taylor, I think. He came off of Game of Thrones. He did most of the first season, which was some of the best stuff the show ever had because it had Sean Bean in it. Um, and he also did Thor The Dark World, I believe. Was it Alan Taylor? Uh, I should look that up, actually. Um, I'm just going to say yes, because I'm yes. either going to be right or wrong. Uh, he was either involved in it or he was involved. It was in Alan Taylor. It was. So I was right. Yay, Ben yeah. Smart. All right. Uh, but, I mean, Thor Ragnarok, uh, not Ragnarok, uh, Dark World. Now I look back on that, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely one of the weakest Marvel movies, but... It wasn't like it was something I was unentertained by, um, so I didn't hate it. And I was excited for it because I, I had heard the plot. And James Cameron, this was the first one where he had – I don't know if he gave him some suggestions, but he was involved and knew the entire story. And before the movie even filmed, he says, I fully endorse this movie. I believe this is going to be the return to form for the Terminator franchise. Uh, you know, Schwarzenegger was back. I knew that they were going to be doing these different time periods. They didn't quite get it the way I expected, but it's about going back in time to the events of the original Terminator movies, which was cool. I love Jason Clark, so as much as I loved Christian Bale, Jason Clark was coming off of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is one of my favorite movies. Like I, I'd rank it in my top five movies of the last decade. You know, we'll we'll get to that at the end of the year. You know, the favorite favorite and best movies of the decade, uh, and also Zero Dark Thirty, probably one of the best movies of the last decade. Both of those would be on there. Um, Amelia Clark, Game of Thrones, awesome. Jai Courtney, couldn't care less. Uh, Matt <laughs> Smith, who had a mysterious role in this movie. He's Doctor Who. I love Matt Smith. Everything about this movie I was excited about. And Jamie and I saw it opening weekend, and I remember walking out just being like, I couldn't have expected it to be that bad. And I knew a couple other people watched it and said, yeah, it was okay. Nobody said it was great. But... <sighs> If there's a movie that killed the Terminator franchise, it was this. Uh, and I, I remember very little about it except that my reaction was I really disliked everything about it. Uh, you still haven't seen it, which is surprising. But um, I guess you were just waiting for this, weren't you? Absolutely. That's purely it. It came out. When I saw it being released, I'm like, no, I'm going to wait until we create another podcast one day and, and review it. Um, I think it just got to the point where... Um, I wanted to see it because it was a Terminator movie. I was going to go see it, but then the reviews came out and then I just, it was one of these ones where I just heard really bad things. And I think I pretty much remember you and Noah talking about it too, that you mm -hmm. both went and saw it and that it was terrible. 
So, um, yeah, I just kind of didn't see it based on that purely. So, and I, I think I bought it on DVD, like when it came <laughs> out. So I'm like, well, I'm going to watch this because it's a Terminator film. Uh, and I just never watched it. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have no other excuses besides that. So, uh, I think my dad saw it and said it was okay, but, you know, I question my dad's thought process sometimes. He, you know, decided <laughs> to create me. So, um, but like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love Jason Clark too. Um, he's one of these Australian actors that I think people forget about in our country. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. J.K. Simmons is in it too, isn't he? So, oh yeah. Um, I look forward to seeing him. And I just see here that Alan Taylor actually directed an episode of Lost. And he also directed the esteemed movie Kill the Poor, which I don't actually think was a movie. He just said it one time and then, oh, I'll make it into a movie. So why not? Um... Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've got to host the damn thing, so you know, I, I've heard it's a bit weird and it's a bit convoluted. So, good good luck with Ben hosting that episode next week. Good luck, Ben. Um, but Thanks. I will say this: it goes by very quickly. Well, thank the Lord Maybe for that. Too quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so that'll be next week. So uh, we're wrapping up Terminator Month here. We're already in the middle of Star Wars Month. We're excited about that. I'm sure we're covering a lot of other stuff out there. Uh, as we bring you this episode from the past and the future somehow at the same time. Um, but Terminator's wrapping up, and then we're going to eventually see... Now, how many weeks now until Dark Fate comes out? Uh, two, I think, based on we the hope. fact that... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, if I've worked it out correctly, if I've done my math correctly, two weeks. There's certain things you can bank on. Like, uh, this year, we've had to record a lot of stuff in advance so that we can get to Star Wars and, you know, work around Ben changing countries and me and Jamie having twins. I so did it last year, but don't blame it on that, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we planned this whole year last year, too. But, uh, oh. <laughs> um, but you changed jobs. You've done lots of things this year. You've gotten engaged. You've... Um, also last uh, year, but... <laughs> see i'm just this year's gone by so quickly for me uh so quickly we're already in november can you believe that just blame but, the fact that you popped out a couple of twins where your wife did there always, you go so. <laughs> ben how's louise doing tell me <laughs> oh, i'm back to the one before her cat god it's like 14 years ago jesus oh um all right so <laughs> my worry was we recorded all of this in advance and uh, when we plan on doing Terminator, I'm like, you know, I know they're not going to change the release date of Star Wars. Let's hope they don't change the release date of Terminator. So you may be listening to this in February of next year. Uh, it may be 2022 <laughs> right now. Who knows? But uh, Terminator Dark Fate is eventually coming out. And boy, wasn't that second trailer so much better than the first, Ben? I could not believe that Justin Bieber was in it. Like, who would have <laughs> ever thunk it? And he just spent the whole time going, relax, relax, baby. <laughs> <laughs> relax! uh which brings us to the end uh my name is called make sure well first make sure to subscribe to us on itunes which may not (laughs) not even be a thing anymore by the time this airs stitcher which may not be a thing uh facebook which may not be a thing twitter which we know is a thing all those other social media channels you'll find us somewhere unless the machines have already taken over my name is colin bringing you all the hits <laughs> here on resistance radio and uh i still don't have a line from this movie come on 
and my name is Christian Bale, and am I going to walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene? Then what the fuck are you walking through? Ah, da, 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 like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you? What don't you fucking understand? You got any fucking idea about it? <laughs> it's fucking distracting. Has somebody walk up behind Bryce in the middle of the fucking scene? Give me an answer. What don't you get about it? Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.